0: Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the Pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. Okay, we're back. Welcome, everybody, to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. I am your host, John Vallis, and today we have a very special guest in the studio, Mr. David Chen. Uh, David is the CEO of Strikingly, and Strikingly is a business that I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into further, and he'll tell you more about. But essentially, it's uh, a way a very very makes it very very easy to create very attractive, very functional, mobile optimized landing pages uh, for your. You know, for yourself, for your business, or, or for whatever. Um, prior to that, however, uh, David is originally from Guangzhou in China. Um, he went to the University of Chicago and studied uh, economics. Um, and he's got a really big resume with a lot of interesting things on it. So like I said, we're going to get into them. But just as a point of reference for you all before we get going, uh, one of the first ventures David was involved in while he was at university was something called uh, MoneyThink. MoneyThink is a nonprofit um uh, enterprise started by David and a few other people and basically it the purpose is to spread financial literacy uh, throughout the community um, that has been picked up uh, or backed by Blackstone and is still a going concern and doing very well uh, after that David was involved in uh, a social enterprise uh, incubator called Excel um, and he was the director of the fellowship program there um, and then after that he got on the trail towards strikingly so David, Sorry if I butchered the, uh, the bio there. We'll get more about it in a moment, but thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me over. So, David, why don't we start, like I said, why don't we start from Guangzhou, actually, because we don't have many people on the show that uh, were are, are native Chinese and then went to the U.S. and then came back and are involved in the startup community. So, can you, can you tell the listeners, you know, for those people that are not from China, maybe have no China experience, where you're from and, and how you ended up going to university in Chicago?
1: Yeah, um so I'm from this city called Guangzhou and uh interestingly enough, not that many people have heard of it, but um it's actually the third biggest city it's in China huge. by by population, right? right? I mean every single city in China is like that big by population. But this is actually one of the metropolitan. So grew up in Guangzhou and um after my middle school, um I always have this dream to like, you know, go to Harvard, right? Like every other you know, Chinese kid who was like, "Oh, Harvard, Cambridge." Sure. Um, and at that time, it just seemed so far away. So um, after middle school, um, I talked to my parents, decided that I want to actually study abroad, and went to U.S. for boarding school. Um, that's actually, you know, it's kind of like a bold decision. It Was around 2005. Sure. Um, not that many people actually have done it, but um, at that time, just like it, sort of feel the urgency. Uh, for out of nowhere. Um, I did a trip to the U.S. before and also to Europe, but um, in the end just decided, um, you know, this is a place I really want to grow myself and open my eye. It's sort of, I feel so the world is a little bit different from how I perceive it, the trip that went to the U.S. Um, so decided to went to the U.S. for high school and then, um, you know, went to university, um, for econ, um, I really love the subject of economics, and um, it's always something that interests me a lot. So I went down that path. Um, but um, you know, interesting, interesting enough, I met this group of people who are so inspiring. And um, at University of Chicago, which is one of the most like nerdy school, as you can see, right. um, you know, I met this group of most entrepreneurial people. Actually, um, I have. Um, you know, even to this date, um, you know, compared to many other people I've met, there are just like it's very interesting mix of um, people that I met there who gave me the interest of like going into entrepreneurship, and I started, you know, kind of going down that path, developed money think along the side, um, and sort of one thing led to another. Um, started working on startup and getting to the getting to the internet industry basically.
0: Right. All right, so let's back up a bit. You mentioned money think, and I think. You know, this is a really interesting venture and you did it during your first year in university, right? So Mm -hmm. why don't you, you know, can you describe MoneyThink a bit and and tell us what that was, what that involved?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, MoneyThink was right now is essentially a, you know, nonprofit organization that um, is spreading financial literacy. Um, We have the model of like teaching university students to like... Um, to help local high schools and local underserved communities to understand some basic personal finance, right. basically, um, and that's a big problem right now. Um, you know, we started originally as a side project. You know, like w- around that time, social enterprise was sort of like the hottest word. Um, you know, on any U.S. college campuses, right? even China. Um, and around that time, we we're like we we study econ. At one of the most prestigious university for that subject, mm-hmm. um, but around our neighborhood, you have seen you can actually see the, the one of the poorest neighborhood in the U.S., which is a very sharp contrast. Um, so, you know, we got invited to actually you know tell um, kind of go to these like classrooms in some of the underserved high schools and teach them some of like the university life mm-hmm. and something that we have learned um, in college. But then uh, what we realized is that, you know, these kids weren't really that interested in, you know, just like, oh, you know, what's your life in college? Because they can't really, you know, they can't really feel it, sure. right? Uh, they it's might not, not,
0: really, not really relevant to them then either, right? They're like, well. Wow.
1: Yeah, exactly. So they were like, oh, you know, a bunch of, like, you know, um, kids who managed to get to one of the top universities trying to come here and show some, you know, right. uh, you know, trying to be a volunteer, feel good about themselves. Sure, sure. Sure. Um, but when we start raising the problem like when we start talking to them really getting to like having the topic of um you know how do you make money on the side um how do you handle those money those topics start becoming very interesting and mm-hmm. interesting also in a way that it's really alarming for us um none of, none of the kids that we talk to have bank account but all of them you know have a side job so I was always wondering, oh, like, how do you spend the money then, right? Um, and it turned out that they will get, you know, a paycheck, cash it out, and buy one of, the, buy some of the most expensive stuff that we would not even buy. Right. Um, so the classroom that we went to, every single kid has, like, you know, Gucci, um, you know, Louis Vuitton, stuff like that. We're like, wow, this is interesting. This is one of the poorest neighborhood. With the most like you know luxurious brand, yeah. all over them, and we're like, this is interesting. Nobody understands the concept of like future planning, starting from this financial aspect. So we started thinking about like, um you know, we started you know we, we study you know some of the very high level like sub uh, high- level concept of economics. Some of the very fundamentals we can definitely help pass it on and teach these kids. So we started teaching them something very very fundamental such as um you know the rolling interest right not compound interest and mm-hmm. tell them like oh if you save like $100 you can make like you know one something like $1 at the end of the first year they're like oh who cares right, right. but you're like wait wait hold on but in 20 years you'll be like this much like, wait hold on really like you know that was interesting so um start teaching them some of this very basic um you know kind of subject and that class that we went to, that one particular class, um, started to have very high engagement. You know, one of the problems in this underserved neighborhood was also most of these kids, um, they don't want to go to school. They don't feel the fun. They don't enjoy the class. Yeah. So a class like participation rate, even attendance rate was really low. But with us actually teaching some of this life skill, the participation and like um, the attendance rate went up at so much. And the word started spreading. Um, so the inner city high school that we went to start like coming to us, telling us like, "Hey, can you actually come to our school as well to do something similar?" Um, but at that time, we only there were only like you know four or five of us, um, so we don't have the bandwidth. We started form, forming an organization, start doing like more things. One thing led to another. Other universities start figuring out we're doing similar things. They want to you know be part of this. So we start forming an organization. Eventually, end up forming a non-profit nonprofit to um To coordinate all of this, and one of us uh, after college, decided to jump in full time and he's doing a fantastic job right now, yeah. taking it to a completely different level um, and right now, I think you know from last time when I, when I saw it now, as you mentioned they were they were backed by you know, Blackstone, they were on MTV um, they were um, you know kind of recommended by the White House saying that this is one uh-huh. of the most innovative uh, student entrepreneurship programs and um now they're backed by an incubator that's backed by Google um and they have their own app right now for the students who manage their uh, manage their personal finance so is are these like is this a
0: organization that is on several different campuses like it's you know it's something that people just participate in under the banner of money think like you know are there are there branches in all different universities doing this work, or how does how does the operation of it work
1: yeah so um, essentially I mean the model is that we, um, we the, the product we have is a training program plus um, the curriculum and um, you know the the kind of peripheral uh, tools that we can help the, uh, help anybody who wants to take on this mission and then spread it sure. in their community sure. that 's essentially what we 're trying to do. And um, when we figure out that um, the most buying come from people who are just like us, right. right? Who got into universities, who are picking up all of these subjects, and realize that they can do much more than sitting in class and finish their assignment. Mm. Um, they want to do something more than that. And financial literacy is actually uh, one of the one of the most you know kind of ignored topic mm. anywhere in the world, right? And you talk about poverty all the time, you talk about hunger all the time, but financial literacy for um, especially, you know, neighborhood that's around the city area has been really ignored. And yeah. this is actually one of the most important problem um, in, the, in the United States, but also in the world. Right. Sure, sure. So um, so when it comes to that, like a lot of people feel it personally. A lot of our um, college participants are, um, are people who came from that background. They really want to you know, help people who are just like them mm. to get out of that. Um, they were lucky or they kind of got enlightened one way or the other. But f- they feel the program can empower them to do much more to a community that they were part of. Um, and a the community they feel like really deserve more attention. So, it's, a,
0: it's a really interesting concept because, of course, we're all conditioned to... Strive to earn money throughout our lives. You know, from yeah. a very young age, we're taught the value of money, and you know, just get it, just get it. You know, that's that's why we do so many things. But like, like you've been saying, there's been f- relatively little conditioning and education on what to do with it when you get it. You know, how to manage it correctly. Totally. Yeah, and uh, it's a fascinating. I mean, and, and I just love how things like this come about. You know, you guys, it's what you're studying. You end up going to you know a, a classroom one day. And you find that, wow, you know you know they weren't interested in anything else we were saying, but when we talk about like how do you maximize or optimize the management of your of your money, you know their ears perk up, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm listening now. go on, you know because we want more money, or we want to be able to buy more things." and uh, it's just amazing that through through small actions like that, it can blossom into something now, like money think, which presumably hundreds or if not thousands of people are affected by and directly involved in. And, uh, you know, in that way you, you begin to change an entire landscape. You can change, you know, and certainly change people's lives. But before we move on to the next thing, one of the questions that was going through my head when you were speaking is what has kind of the, for the people that were receiving this education from the different uh, volunteers and participants that were involved, what was, what was some of the feedback, you know, was there any, is there any like, you know, uh, cool stories about, you know, young kids that, you know, were really engaged by this uh, curriculum and, took it on board and, and then did something with it or any, anything you can share like that?
1: Definitely. There are like, um, there are many, many stories that kind of empowers to, um, to keep on doing what we're doing. Right. Um, it's really life changing for a lot of the kids, right? Some of the kids, um, you know, started from you know, losing all the hopes in the future because the conversation is not really centered around just financial literacy. Mm-hmm. That's one part, but the bigger conversation is really about future planning for right. yourself. Yeah. Right. Um, if you don't even have the sense of like how do you plan your own earnings, you just pretty much lose sense of like planning your future in general. Yeah. Um you live at the moment and you kind of like spend all of the money that you can get at the moment and that same mentality applies to anything else. They and don't apply for college.
0: And you're at the mercy of circumstances and changing circumstances and we all know over the last several years, you know, there's been a lot of economic, you know, volatility to say the least. So Yeah.
1: yeah. So that was uh that was what we have seen as well. So this kid's um, you know, when we look at them, uh, you know for nonprofits it's always hard to find a very quantitative measurement of how how well we're doing. We're trying to like from day one we're trying to find the metrics. Um, you know, how many people we have affected, but anecdotally we have seen, you know, people start coming back to class, start like saving up their uh, money in a bank account. We have managed to get like um you know, eighty to ninety percent of our, you know, kids that attended our class to form a bank account and actually start saving up their you know their money and um start really building up the kind of a portfolio for them to to really invest in the future. Right. Um there a lot of pe- people after participating in the program start really believing the future and they start actually applying for universities. And um and that was from the high school students. Side. And there was a lot of like um university students. Um you know the the second chapter was actually USC. Uh, which is uh u c l a sorry right. uh, which is also you know you know in l a and around one of the one of the kind of mo- poorest neighborhood as well mm-hmm. um and they went back to like deliver service to their own community um they the, as i said like what we were trying to do is really develop a package to empower them um and this these people who joined the the program starting from like when we're really on structure, really built up the movement. Um and you know one day I actually attended an event and somebody would just say oh like you know there's a this a very cool social enterprise on our campus called Money Thing have you heard of it I was like oh interesting <laughs> There's something that uh, we did at UChicago that started um so you know a lot of these things started like rolling on um yeah. and we have seen how we empower people to empower others and how we have like seen the end result from the high school students yeah
0: well, that's yeah. awesome and and obviously it must. It must be very empowering for the people that are engaged in it, because, like as you said, it's been backed by Blackstone it's got the endorsement of the White House, so mm-hmm. you know it's got to be pretty pretty legit yeah um so leading you know going forward, you got involved in Excel, right? yeah, why don't you tell us what that was about
1: so um so Excel essentially is a you know social enterprise incubator or fellowship yeah. um I was actually part of the Excel program myself, so I was part of the excel fellow program mm-hmm. um with money thing actually, um, so oh, okay. so I got selected to be uh, it's targeted only Chinese um, social enterprise uh, social enterprise leaders. Um, so I was part of the thirty people who got selected to be part of a program and went through it. And it was really life changing, right? Um, we have it actually takes so the program takes um, thirty people from China go to Silicon Valley and um, uh, around that time to uh, San Diego to basically visit some of the most um, successful social enterprise wow um, that, and that must have been awesome it was awesome <laughs> I have fully paid which is even better <laughs> sure, sure. so um so we went to through this trip and um, it just changed how we think about um, you know everything right like when money thing around the time when started when I particip- participating in the program money thing was just still like kind of in between of a college project and a real nonprofit, mm-hmm. um with like semi structure management system, uh, after that we decided we really need to be serious about this. if we really want to make a difference, we need to really you know, put it in our heart to develop all the systems, the curriculums, standardize everything so all of this is like from the the best advice from um, you know some of the most successful people who have already done this mm-hmm. and social enterprise is a very very small industry um, not that many people are in that industry even today um, yeah. so uh, it's very empowering to meet 29 other people who are just like me first of all and also hear advice from the best people um, around the world so we did that um, that was really empowering So um, and social enterprise was one of the biggest part of my my college life um, and i decided that i want to ne- learn more about it i have done you know a little bit on the side of like the operational side mm-hmm. i want to see how i can help forming a community in china so um went back to shanghai after my third year um of college decided to take a little bit break from college and come back to shanghai sort of start working on how we can the 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 thesis was how can we form a community and movement in china to uh, empower other people who want to Know, choose a different path and go with this social enterprise. It's not strictly non-profit, but like, how do you think about this double bottom line right. uh, having like both profit and impact in mind? Um, so I start going to the other side of the table, which is how do we provide resources? How do we uh, provide a community? Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting because um, I have never really done that before. Um, I was always on the operational side. I was event organizing, fundraising for MoneyThink. Now I need to think about uh, how do we do how do we help other people to do exactly the same thing. And um and we started forming programs. Um, you know, building up on what I have experienced when I was a fellow, um, we started forming, you know, a resource kind of um resource center type of thing. We have like mentors, um, that's not only just one time but also continuous mentor for the people. We're also bring funding for um the social enterprise leaders in China so that they can continue their operation. Mm-hmm. So all of those are you know, were very interesting experience. Uh, I mean, in the end, I decided to move on to do Strike Me full time, right? Because um, you know, I realized social enterprise for me is really big interest, but uh, my passion still lies with um, tech, um, the tech industry or internet industry. Sure. Um, and that was really it was something that I just realized um, as I have done, you know, sort of the social enterprise uh, related work for quite some time. Um, you know, I realized Tech was just so much more um, activity going on, right, and right. Um, the people I met there, everyone I met, was so interesting. So I decided to take a leap of faith and, you know, start working on striking. And
0: before we get into that leap that you took, I just want to ask one one question because I think uh, social enterprise is a much more established, you know, field in North America and Europe and other places. But I'm interested to know, like. What's, it, what's the social enterprise landscape like in China? Because obviously the scale of the challenges is certainly there. I mean, there's enough, there's enough issues to address. But I think, you know, given the confluence of a number of different factors, perhaps it hasn't, you know, that industry, that approach to things, social enterprise, hasn't been ingrained or hasn't had enough time to take root yet here in China. But I'm just wondering what, from your perspective, you know, being so closely involved, how does it compare to the social enterprise landscape in, let's say, the U.S., for example?
1: Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question. I mean, this whole concept of like, you know, double bottom line uh, combining the traditional kind of uh, enterprise practice with uh, uh, social work is a very new concept anywhere, right? right. Um, one of the biggest things is like, how do you measure double bottom line? Mm-hmm. With the double bottom line, which is impact and profit come in conflict with each other, right? right? How do you measure all of those? And what's the definition of social enterprise to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. So we took the definition of, like, you know, you have to be for profit. You have to actually generate profit. But um, one of the core kind of a thesis of your, um, you know, success measurement is the impact. And you have to have some kind of uh, measurement for impact. And that's also a very big thing that's going on. Because right now, when we think about social impact, how do you measure it, right? Like, it's very hard. Good question, yeah. Right. You measure... 10 people you save by giving food to like 10 people you save by you know um uh you know kind of providing water how can you compare like yeah. this is a uh, apple and orange you can't really compare them yeah. so
0: yeah for sure quantifying it must be very difficult i mean you i think it's in most people can recognize this is a good deed but how you you know quantify the degree to which a deed is good and
1: and measure it like you said yeah it must be challenging it's very challenging so I guess right now, like when we did it, that was also a challenge. It's everywhere, um, in China especially. Um, yeah. Because you know, not only that um, we face the traditional kind of social enterprise problem, there's also um, social work in China in general has been in kind of a gray area, right? Because like mm-hmm. government wants to step in. Um, how do you, like, forming a non-profit in China is very, um, the, the process of forming even a non-profit in China is very vague. Like how do you actually do that? There's not that many individually or like private run nonprofit in China. It's right. mostly like celebrities uh, and whatever. So, um, so doing this in China is, has that inherent barrier. Um, and uh, also the you know when you talk about North North America and um, and you know Europe um, already have like this big philanthropy culture, yeah. right? And the philanthropy culture basically is deciding where we can where can we put the money. Um, to make it more effective, yeah. right? Uh, obviously, if you have you know profit coming in, then you can plan out what's your next quarter without having to really like um, you know buckle up and go raise another round before you can you know do anything. Sure. Um. So, um, in the U.S. or um, as as far as I can see, it's like you know a lot of these philanthropy people um change the way they spend their philanthropy allocation of their wealth. Into something that's more of this new path of a, like social enterprise, mm-hmm. um, philanthropy in general in China has not been really that developed yet. Yeah. And um, how do you channel money? How do you manage money? How do you report? All of those has not been set up. So um, private funding for um, you know philanthropy work has just been very little and not developed. And um, structurally and legally, it's not really supported as well. So right. so it, at the end, it's just really hard to do any of these things. Um, um kind of in China uh, without much support. Yeah. So um in the end, support has become much, much more important. Community support, even government relationship just becomes so much more important in China, which is a very unique landscape. Sure.
0: And the infrastructure is just is just not as in place here as it is you know in the US, right? So, yeah, totally. But but as I mentioned and, and through having conversations with a lot of people, not not unlike yourself, you know, we always talk about the scale of the issues here in China, you know, the in many many different areas of, of society, um, and I, I feel like because a lot of those issues are so extreme uh, that there is almost a f- like a fervor for social enterprise that I feel is building so mm-hmm. and in in uh, Excel is a perfect example of that, and hopefully through you know the initiatives and the work and the you know the 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 things that different people are trying to do in that landscape. Through those efforts, hopefully that infrastructure, like so many things in China, will get established will you know will kind of leapfrog you know yeah. it won't take as long to get established uh, in China as they might have elsewhere because yeah. you know one one once something gains momentum in china usually it's a uh, it's a pretty quick story
1: china' speed huh yeah exactly yeah. Uh,
0: cool so that that's that's an awesome initiative, and thank you for sharing that with us so we're in third year university uh and you start working on strikingly. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, strikingly, it's a uh, for us is never a straight path. Right. It's actually. Is it? Um, is it ever? I, uh, I think most
0: most startup entrepreneurs would say the same thing. Totally
1: right. Uh, I mean, it just seems like well, overnight success always have like this kind of ten years preparation before exactly. even happen. Yeah. So for us, um, we, I mean, I was very into entrepreneurship at that time already. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I did my finance internship, internship like you know anybody else on my on my campus, and decided that it wasn't really something for me. I mean, it's a really dynamic industry, but just not something for me. So we decided to work on the first startup with actually with my one of my co-founders uh, was from that finance internship that I had, and two of us we just decided we don't really want to go back. So we started working on something, and we brought on three other people, um, and you know somebody who I have always been working with um in chicago i brought him on and we're like let's you know make something um let's do something together so the first startup we did was actually um a crowdfunding startup and you know this is actually one of the hottest term right now you know if you if you look around there's like a crowdfunding startup for everything sure right um we did it um the first when we first started working on that startup was around 2010 and 2010 was when crowdfunding as a term just got kind of coined. Right. Uh, the the term crowdfunding didn't even exist before then. When when did the big players start, like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, and them? When did when did they start? That was 2011. 2011. Yeah, 2011, early 2011. I mean, they started. Um, Kickstarter also have a really like rough path. Uh, 2008 was really um, you know kind of like their, their official commencement. Right. Um, but then. Um, they went through this really kind of um, really rough path to really get the first like, group of people to vouch for them yeah. and two thousand and eleven was when they have like a couple of really big projects um, and that 's what took them to the next level Amazing. the the really killer project um, so when we started, nobody really know what crowdfunding is, nobody really care, um, and we were you know, first time entrepreneurs, so we make almost every single possible mistake. You know, you can imagine. Well, how
0: did you guys come about it? Was it an idea? Did you see it work somewhere else? Like, what, why did you want to go with crowdfunding?
1: Well, I mean, at that time, um, I was participa- participating in a lot of, like, this kind of um, entrepreneurship or leadership conference. Yeah. And everyone was talking about, oh, how how can we, like, empower these people to do something? And I was like, hmm, uh, why why can't I just, like, you know, go around and ask my friends to help out if every one of them give me, like, $10? That would be enough for me to kickstart it. Right. Um, and I was like, oh, why nothing exists like this? And I didn't even know the term crowdfunding. It was sort of just like as I was sitting at the conference when I hear another government program that's you know, putting together like another five million dollars to support entrepreneurship, I was like, oh, you know, it's so cliche. Right, How can right. you really move the needle? You can't really move the needle. Yeah. Um you can't really always raise like another five million and then like dump it in and then the process of applying for it just so complicated. So that's when I thought about it and we we're thinking about going after it, but it's so new as a concept and I didn't even know like Kickstarter or Indiegogo even existed. I was so excited. So we just sort of diving right. with um completely just you know, this thought from my side. We didn't do any um uh, we didn't do any market research, nothing. Um I mean I guess the only market research I did was when I was in college, I was um I was in charge of um I was VP of student government and uh, my one thing I was in charge uh, in charge of um was the funding committee um on campus, and um every single week on you know Tuesday night, we'll review uh, quite a number of funding proposals from different student student organizations asking for funding to do different type of things, different initiatives, yeah, and we really never really have enough uh, funding for them um so that's kind of like the only market research and market understanding we had. One mistake, one classic mistake it was that we never really went out and talked to users. Right. So yeah. we sort of just went with it. We're like, this is great. This is like the next thing. We're, we're going to make it happen. Crowdfunding, and we even thought about like crowd investment, which is so far ahead of this time. yeah, um, Which is just immature, right, at the time. So we started thinking about that, and we started going after it, and we went to start doing it, and we make a lot of mistakes. We didn't talk to users. We Our iteration process was so slow. Um, we spent like about two three months to build the first iteration and then another five months before we right five months before we kind of quit right like uh the second iteration never really came up um uh, and even though we used it we have some initial success we used it to uh, to kind of we partner with student government which is something that I was running um we partnered with it and then we did this thing called uncommon fund and we brought on something like a hundred and sixty Ish project um, to the platform within the first two weeks, which is pretty fast. Yeah. But then, you know, um, after uncommon fund was done, uh, when the funding was done, you know, when we give out the funding to like the the project we approved as student government, everyone turned. Nobody ever used that platform again. Really? Um, and that was very interesting learning for us. We we're like, oh, maybe maybe it's because we don't have the funding part or figure out yet. We need to do that. But the honest you know like in the end when we started talking to users the interesting thing that we found was that none of them really need funding and that was really ironic right when i talked to a user just imagine the conversation goes like hey you know you're on this platform it's called joinstart um how can we help you get funding and the conversa- the answer i would from every single one of them was like oh i don't need funding I thought, why would you get on a crowdfunding platform <laughs> if you don't need funding? That doesn't really make well, any sense. What was the answer? They're not
0: looking for funding. they just do they want to be funders or what were the so
1: for? I mean the answer was they were like, "Oh, well, we don't have a way to present ourselves, right? Like if this is sort of that only thing that I can use to put my put put any information about my project online, so I can share it around. Mm. I was like, oh. So I what think, would you need the most? I think I
0: see how this is gonna lead in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So
1: I was like, how how like, how can we help more? Yeah. Like on that end, like what, what do you need basically? They're like, oh, if you can make the profile of our project much better, right? Then uh, that one, that would be fantastic. I was like, what about the funding piece? Uh, yeah, that would be good. But you know, it's kind of like they brush it away. They're like, don't care. Yeah. And this is not only for one person. It's actually from almost everyone I talk to after you know. Like close to the end of um our first startup, which was about eight months that we're running it. Close to the end we first started talking to um to our users and that's what we realized. So um uh, when we talked to them, we got that, you know, none of them really need funding. So we started talking about, hey, so it's really a marketing problem, really about presence. Um, how can we do anything to help out? And around that time, this thing this one concept called one-page design start to surface. Mm -hmm. If you search one page as a trend on Google, um, the keyword uh, started around 2011 summertime. And, And we're like, wow, this is easy. If we can allow people to edit exactly what we are seeing, exactly, like we just see this one page, we ask them, go there, change every word, change every picture, that' would be fantastic that would be that that's it right that's all I need right and I was student government you know kind of um I was in charge of the funding committee and when I, you know think about this again um from the funding proposal I received the first um you know funding the the first criteria that we receive the most is free food, and right after hmm. it's building a website right um and I was like, wow that's actually what I needed the most when I was in when I was, like on campus I needed it for you know, um uh, my own campaign when I was running for student government for yeah. events, for my personal website, whatever. And I always have this one person I went to, um, but you know, it's just so annoying having to, you know, go back and forth. I have to ask him for his time, buy him coffee, obviously, and um trying to really hey, can you build a website? When is it done? And he hated that process. I hated pro- that process. And this person eventually ended up being my co founders, working on striking with us. So um, it's a really painful process, and we realize there's nothing in the market for one of the most fundamental problem on the internet, which is how do I even build a website, yeah. like, um, That but has just not been democratized.
0: I, I think one of the the main w- one of the interesting things uh, to observe, you know, throughout the the evolution of the internet and people's interaction with it, is that you're right. You know, for so long it was, or prior to now, and now this is changing, and, and strikingly as obviously involved in it, but you know to to engage really to have a creative impact on the internet and tech in some way you had to have a certain technical skill set right and it was almost off limits to you if you didn't know how to code or know how to design and all these different things and what's really interesting now you know with strikingly and like raspberry pi and code academy and things of this nature is that like they're they're doing they're putting the work in so that you can engage almost directly with what prior to that you would have had to hire somebody for or wait a long time for, right? So the barriers to engaging in the internet and technology and representing yourself electronically and all these things really seem to be coming down. Yeah. Um, so I'll throw back over to you. So this this is the, the genesis of strikingly, right?
1: Yeah. So that was uh, how we got started. Like right? pretty much that was like we make that pivot. Um, eventually we lost two people from the team. Mm-hmm. Um, three three of us start stay together. Even though we work remotely, I was away from college uh, College and went back to Shanghai, was working on this thing, strikingly become a part time, like, side project. Right. So um, you, you
0: didn't have to jump all in at, at once, right? You, you said, oh, you and the people who were going to keep working on it were like, let's keep it alive, let's keep chipping away. Yeah. But we're not ready to, you know, jump in with our clothes on yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're, we're thinking about that, right? I mean, when, before I jump into this whole startup, When you think about startup, all of this movie and all of, like, you know, social network, whatever, you think about drinking all the time, (laughs) pool pool party, right? And uh, you're talking to investors, talking to, like… People who are just like such a baller, you'd be like, oh, so amazing! You fantasize all of this like startup life. And is that what you were doing? Well, I mean, (laughs) we we
0: talk about a lot, a lot of time on this show, and we, you know, sometimes we drop statistics like, well, in fact, you know, the the average liquidation event for a startup is about seven years. You know, (laughs) and and people don't really look at it that way. They think started up in my dorm room, two years later, I'll be a millionaire or or, or something like that. You know?
1: Yeah, like every almost everyone that we knew. like especially on campus, fantasize this whole process. Right, and um, I mean even now, like when people join start a company, they will think about oh, it's having fun. I mean it's so much more about getting stuff done than yeah. having fun, right? So, um, so we didn't have that concept. I mean, I sort of like start realizing it when my daily routine becomes like go to the grocery store, buying food for my co-founders, uh, cooking them lunch, cleaning the house. I was like, wait, hold on a second. This is not sexy at all, right? Exactly, <laughs> uh, and uh, and like you know, you have all these fancy terms. We're like, oh, what are you doing today? Well, I'm working on logistics. What what's logistics? Well, oh, going to the grocery store, buying, like, <laughs> you know, that like <laughs> that salmon for dinner, right? Like you, you kind of like start talking about those type of things, and um, we start realizing it, and you know, uh, unfortunately, two of the um, initial team realized that there wasn 't something for them, sure, so they they st- wasn 't something for them at least for that time, yeah. so they decided that you know they want to not be part of it after um and for us it 's also like you know when you have that reality check um at that moment you don 't know you just you got confused, yeah, and especially losing two of my best friends um who were working uh, with us um it 's really sort of like a breakup right like yeah. you think about that you're like ah oh, it's so painful like um you were best friends and now you have this one weird thing that you experience and you kind of part ways yeah. and no matter how friendly that part way is you, you just feel like there's always this one thing that's between you and him um even like that was something that i have to learn to get used to sure. so um you know we we decided that we want to take some time off like let's let's See if we really want to do this. Everybody. Everyone. Okay. Um so two of them left. Um three of us were still working on striking me, but um I was in Shanghai working on Excel. Yeah. Um one of my co-founder went to uh, Hong Kong work with a finance firm. Mm-hmm. And then the third one was still finishing college. He was my classmate. Mm-hmm. So we decided to do that and um but we still kept striking our life. You know, every single day We'll be, like, working, finishing our daily work, and then we'll do this, like, three-way Skype chat. Uh, I was in Shanghai. My co-founder was in, like, you know, uh, Chicago and um, and Hong Kong. And sometimes we'll just, like, keep the Skype on, um, and you hear the noise from the other side, and nobody's talking, but you just feel good because you feel like it's somebody's so working on the other side, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and that was a feeling we just really never really... We never want to let go of that feeling of, like, being able to work with people that you really admire, yeah. that you want to... um. Just um, make an impact with them. Um, so we kept on doing it. And another thing that kept us kind of you know going with um, what we were doing is that, with Strikingly, we launched our sort of first landing page. Um, you know, August two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. And after we launched that landing page, n- not a line of code behind it, but we were sort of just faking it. That was when like this whole lean startup methodology started to kick off. Yeah. Um. So we launched a landing page, which is something that you can create with Strikingly right now very easily, but like before we have to hard code it, like do everything ourselves, but our landing page literally says, if you want to create something like what you're looking at right now, um sign up like we don't even know how to describe it like website, one pager landing page, how do I describe it? don't know so we, instead we're just like, oh, it, like look at this, this is what you can create and sign up if you want to um within about two weeks, we have about eight hundred people sign up and that was actually surprising. That's yeah. more than we have ever gotten in eight months from the first startup that we put like, you know, hearts and souls into sure, doing. Sure, sure. Um, and that was interesting. And um, did you promote it any special way? Or no, how, we just shared it out that, there.
0: You just launched it and
1: share it on Facebook. That's it. That's the only thing that we did. We share. I share it on Facebook. We share it as a way of like, oh, we're working on this project. We have been working on this project. You know, it's launching soon. Right. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Well, in fact, we only spent like. You know, a day or so, kind of putting that landing page together and then rolled it out. So, um, you know, but that 800 people really gave us some faith in what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's some market demand that you can sense. Um, So we launched our version 1.0 about a month after we launched the the landing page, um, which is pretty fast. But the product really sucked. (laughs) Everyone (laughs) hated it. We launched it to about... A hundred or so people on that eight hundred people on like beta tester list, yeah. and um every one of them hated it. They were like the best right, it was to a point that the best feedback I can got uh, I can get from them was um just redo the whole thing, <laughs> like how can you roll out something like this? It's so ugly, it's like to a point that I can't even imagine somebody is like able to roll out something that's so bad. We're like, uh, okay.
0: So we went back. We. Oh, so what? What's your response to when you get feedback like that? Because you know, it's it's when people hear it, it's easy to listen to it and say, "Yeah, I just let it roll off my shoulders." And then we went back and iterated again. But when you put it in the context of something you've been working on, you know, not full time, but something that's been a passion, a project for you and and your co founders for quite some time, you know, you put yourself out there. The landing page is up. People sign up, and the first bit of p- feedback you get is this is shit yeah you know did, do you have any doubts at that point or are you just focused on okay let's make it better like what's the conversation like in the in the skype call that day
1: well i mean obviously there's a tons of doubt i mean if if the feedback was that fantastic we'd love what you're doing we'll probably will have jumped in at that point right Right. right, right. <laughs> so i mean there's a lot of doubt and we um seeing that feedback we weren't able to like you know, make that kind of leap of faith at that point. Sure. So we decided that, you know what, let's keep it as a side project. Yeah. Let let more feedback roll in and then we'll see how it goes. Um it hurts a lot when something you feel like, oh wow, it's great and people were like, uh you know. Um and um and you know, at that point we decided that let's keep it as a side project. We were taking a break. So for about two or three months we didn't really do anything. We sort of just let it sit there. Yeah. Um but then what What changed our mentality was that within that two or three months, first of all, we always want to work with each other, even though it was really unproductive, really slow, given that like given the you know the Skype situation and then you know you don't really know what each other is doing on their own, and there's very little coordination but uh, one thing that we kept on receiving was emails from our users telling us, "Hey, when are you rolling out your first version?" And the fact was that we rolled out, and people hated it. But for the people who didn't receive it, out of that eight hundred people list, they were like, "Oh, when when can we try out? Like, I'm so looking forward to it. You said that it's going to launch soon, but you didn't." Right. <laughs> and so at that point, we're like, "Oh, uh, I guess we have a second shot. I guess." <laughs> so, um, so we get together again. We start putting together, you know, the second version of it, which we call Strike Me Two Point And with Two Point we launch it to um to another group of people, um, you know, on that list. And we're like, oh, let's launch it. Let's see how it goes. We'll make a lot of improvement, uh, fix a lot of bugs. Um, And out of everyone who tried it out, only one person used it extensively. But he was so passionate, so passionate. This one user, this one guy from Morocco, a high school student. No way. Yeah. And we're like... That's amazing. We're like, oh awesome product market fit right <laughs> like you have this one user but like, oh, product market fit great fantastic we got it everyone else was like man you know uh well still not good it's better i guess we received some feedback but still people were like ah. so we have that one user though he was just like hey I-, I love the product this is the best product i've ever tried in my life like you guys are gonna be huge you're like you kind of like with that with with that coming in, you have that kind of a bias filtering system. You're like, you oh, this is product market fit. We got it. Yeah. So we applied for Y Combinator with that traction. Oh. So we saw <laughs> one user using it. Um, so we applied for Y Combinator that time. Uh-huh. We um we um kind of um, got to the final round. <clears throat> we actually flew to um to Mountain View for the final round interview. Um, and uh, we, we thought that with this, like fantastic. The interview was ten minutes, but kind of extended a little bit. We're like, oh, they really love us. And um, after that, we actually went to celebrate, uh, <laughs> eating like <laughs> sushi buffet. We're like, oh, great. We definitely got in. And um, we put our cell phone on the table, saying that, uh, thinking about like, we're going to receive a we phone call, call very soon. Um, but then we end up receiving an email saying that, oh, sorry, we didn't accept you guys. And, you know, there's still sushi on the table. We ended up just like uh, looking at each other. Run um, out on the bill, <laughs> yeah. And
0: just so for everyone who's listening, Y Combinator. For people that don't know what, yeah. what Y Combinator is, uh, Y Combinator is, is the first, if not the first, certainly the most successful, most popular, most well-known accelerator program. And for those people that don't know, an accelerator program is basically. Typically, about a three month uh, program held you know it's a it 's backed by usually an investment company or the program itself has an investment arm and basically, what they do is they take a bunch of applications, a bunch of different teams ideas, et cetera, uh, and they select them based on a number of different criteria and then during that three months they 're all in the same location and they 're working with mentors with other entrepreneurs with people that have certain experience in legal and finance and st- strategy and business development, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then at the end of the program the idea is to accelerate that's why it's called an accelerator accelerate the business so bring you from you know an, an mvp potentially an idea stage to something that actually has users and is a going concern and you know really sets you up to to the idea is to set you up for success and then of course they they invest a small amount in the in the companies and take part part ownership and what happens from then on uh, is up to fate but for, certainly for Y Combinator some big uh, companies that have come out of there like Dropbox, Airbnb, uh, Stri- Heroku. Stripe, Heroku, Yeah. Uh, so there's some really really big companies. I think on their website they say that the the valuation of graduates is something like 30 or 40 billion dollars. Yeah. So it it's you know now accelerators are very common all over the world. There's actually, you know, there's one here in Shanghai, there's a, a couple more in China. Um, but Y Combinator Y Combinator was the one that kind of blazed the trail for everybody they set the they set the structure and they are generally thought of as the most sought after accelerator program and actually I wanted to ask you did you guys apply to any other programs or did you have your sights set on Y Combinator
1: when we first applied we only applied for Y Combinator uh later on we sort of used a similar application um for a couple other um you know uh incubator program yeah. um you know, after we fell Y Combinator. Um but wasn't really something that we really intend to do. It was sort of like, oh you know, I have time, let's do it, right? right. Um, um but, you know, Y Combinator was was there's some kind of um I guess I trust karma comma, comma a little bit here. Or well, like fate. Right. Um you just have that click. Y Combinator was sort of the reason why we jump in. Yeah. Like when we didn't get in, um the decision that we made uh, at the end of that sushi table was that let's actually do a full time, right. and we're well, like, that's interesting
0: because a lot of people like you know at that mo- those moments it could go either way, right? It's oh, like, totally. Well, we haven't really been giving it you know full time, and the feedback hasn't been great, and we just got denied access to this program. Yeah, let's just call it a day and and go back to our lives. Yeah. Whereas you guys obviously took the other you know other side of the coin and were like we haven't been giving it our our all. We got this far with it. Maybe if we dive in head first we'll have more success.
1: Yeah, yeah. something like that. So, that's basically what we were talking about. I mean, my, one of my co-founders was like, the fact that we didn't get into Y Combinator made me want to <clears throat> work on this more. And um and that was kind of our thought process. And going back to, you know, well, you know the point I raised before, which is I just you know, I I would regret a lot not like missing the chance of working with two brilliant people yeah. that I really respect and cherish as both friends and partners. Mm-hmm. And um and I I feel like they feel the same way. So that's kind of the reason that we jump in. And that became one of the most, you know, um the most educational experience that we ever had, which is we got rejected. So the second time we apply was really, you know, at that time we're like, let's finish the loop, right? Let's close the loop. Yeah. Let's kind of a uh, you know, finish out what we have not finished. Um, let's apply for Y Combinator. Again, see what they think. Um, at that time, when, you know, we jump in full time, we have traction, we're already kind of like, you know, broke even with like very, very little um, expense. Um, but we already have some traction. Like that time, we actually have traction. Um, when we applied, the mentality was completely different. It was not like, oh, we do start we did our startup because of Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. It was more like we did our startup because we believe in it. We wanna solve the problem. We're passionate about what we're doing. Yeah. Y combinator if it comes, fantastic. If it doesn't come, doesn't matter. Let's move on. We're still gonna you know, we still have a huge problem to solve. Right. Um so I mean that was all from that one time that we got rejected. Yeah. I mean also we took Y Combinator way more seriously uh, after we got in. And um the the kind of uh, how it changed us was not you know uh, I imagine it would be it would not be the same if we got in the first time we try. Sure. Yeah.
0: What's really fascinating is, you know, when investors or, you know, uh, accelerator directors or really anybody talks about uh, startups, you know, it's so much not about the idea and it's so much about the team. And, you know, I'm, I'm always curious about, you know, these teams that come together. What makes a team work? What makes them tick? What allows them to at least keep uncertainty and fear and doubt and anxiety in check enough to continue being not only productive, but continue moving in the quote unquote right direction? Because, you know, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, we took the right path. But when you're there and when money is tight and when everyone has their own personal lives and all this stuff going on, like there's so many decisions that have to be made on a daily basis. I'm just I'm amazed that within that context, certainty or enough certainty to move forward can be maintained. Mm-hmm. And when, when you just mentioned something that, that stuck out in my head is, you know, one of the, when you're sitting around the sushi table and you just gotten rejected, one of the reasons you wanted to carry on, which I, I haven't heard much before is because you really respected the team members and you wanted to work with them. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people will say because my idea is going to change the world or because I believe in this idea or because I want to be rich or because the startup life is sexy. But, I think you know, and I, I want to ask you if this came up in your Y Combinator interviews. But you know, when people look for super strong teams, I can't. I can't imagine that someone saying something like that. Like you know, you know, whatever happens here, I want to work with these guys. I respect them. We work well together. You know, whether it's this project or another one, you know, I'm in it because. Whatever happens, I, I want to work with these guys, and I I think from their perspective that that must be fairly powerful. But did did they ask you that when you were in the
1: interview? I mean, when we f- second the second the time, second we, interview, yeah, yeah, the second time we got in. Um, the funny thing was that uh, it was the same group of interviewer, <laughs> and they were sitting down there. Was it was, the next batch? oh like, uh, the next batch. Okay. So it's the same group of interviewer, three of them. We walked in, and they're like, oh, it's you guys again. We're <laughs> like, yep, it's us again. Um, We sit down. Obviously, the mentality was pretty different. So they were asking questions. Instead of trying to sell ourselves, we're just like, you know, this is what we're doing. We're really passionate, whatever. So, I mean, the way we presented ourselves was different. But you can definitely see, you know, um, when they saw us the second time. Um, I mean, if a startup got rejected by Y Combinator, decided not to continue, um and you work on a startup pretty much just for Y Combinator or any of the incubator program, it's going going to fail at some point, right? Yeah. I mean if you just think about that, that's it's one of the small like roadblock um that you're gonna face, um, out of many yeah. that's coming up. So if you um if that's one thing that stops you from continuing, um, that's already a filter yeah. to like um to to get to uh, Y Combinator the second time, so the fact that we didn't give up was already first plus, I guess. Um, and obviously, Y Combinator look at people much more than even any other incubator program. You right. can apply with no idea. You can apply aside, as like just people. a team, yeah. Um, and the three of us, since we been through that like one failed startup experience, we worked together remotely from each other for a long time, and uh, we've. I just I've been working with them for a long time. Like the person who was my classmate uh was my campaign manager when I was uh, running for student government and he made me like <laughs> student government VP, pretty much, like yeah. with his poster and videos. And uh he was my you know, he was the first CTO for MoneyThink and uh he was the CTO for student for student government. Yeah. So we know each other. And, you know, literally when we moved to San Francisco we're completely broke, so we rent out this like small apartment that's a uh, you know about the size of this studio, which is pretty small, right? And mm. um, we have uh, two couch and two small desks, and we have three people. So you can imagine like me sleeping on the same bed with my co-founder for like five <laughs> months, and it's not even a bed; it's like a folded down right. couch. Um, so that was like you know that kind of experience that you have with your co-founders, like if you can become not only you know just partner you can actually share a lot of things like even life habit um you know you can really go through the difficulties i think that means a lot as a team
0: so when when you went in for the second interview i mean what was it like going to Y Combinator now i might be dorking out a bit here but you know for a lot of people Y Combinator is a huge deal you know if you're a startup if you've been working on it like if you get to the interview stage i mean it's it's big you know can you can you walk me through like what it's like going to their their office, their headquarters, and being in you know being in they're in San Francisco or Mountain View? Uh, Mountain View. Mountain View. Yeah. Being in Mountain View and just being in that environment because you know every you know everybody you meet is doing some kind of startup and there's so much buzz around it. Like, what, what's it like walking through their doors? Is it is it amazing or is it pretty standard? Okay, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to talk to these guys and they're going to say yes or no.
1: Yeah, it was terrifying, right? <laughs> <laughs> the first time you walk into that room, you're like, whoa. I mean, this is one of those things that, when, even when we were doing our first startup, uh, the one that failed, the crowdfunding one, we knew like oh, Y Combinator, right? And sure. around that time, we actually had a friend from UChicago um, that won the UChicago Entrepreneur Challenge, um, that went on to, you know, to to work with. Um, to, they basically got into Y Combinator and right. they they worked out there for quite some time so for us it was always like wow this is like so far away you never know like when you can get there it's sort of like it feels like it's one of those legendary thing you walk in there you have like this orange Y sign yeah um and then you see like all those people you only read on the news before and it's just like wow this is very terrifying
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, how how do you prepare for it like are you reading you know because i know i'm not sure if this was out the before you guys went for your interview. But Y Combinator, who's, is it Paul Graham? He's the, one of the founders? Yeah. So he wrote a book called Y Combinator something something. I can't remember. <laughs>
1: like Painter and Hackers. So, um, right. So, I mean, we're reading his uh, essays and we're also reading.
0: So that's how you're preparing. You're, you're reading up on the people involved and what it's like and other people's experiences.
1: Totally. I yeah. mean, we're trying to grab as much information as possible. Sure. We actually met up with quite a few teams um, that came out of Y Combinator, and trying to get their thoughts on how do we apply, how do we answer, how do we prepare for the interview, what kind of interview questions would they ask? Yeah. It's just like a standard kind of interview practice um, for any type of job right, that um, right. that you're gonna apply. Um, but it's just much more terrifying, since <laughs> like you're you're presenting something. It's not presenting my resume; it's presenting something that you know you have basically created your, your heart and soul. Kind yeah. Of. Um and and just it's pretty interesting i mean but at the same time it's very um exciting it's super exciting being there and everyone around you is working on something new right right that's just amazing it and must
0: be an awesome environment to be in fantastic but, but what i'm wondering for a lot of people because of kind of what y combinator has become is there a danger or did you notice while you were there or even for your own team was there kind of like in the even the, the back of your mind you know you're you're your conscious brain wouldn't allow you to think this totally, but is there kind of the idea that like if I get into Y Combinator, like I've pretty much made it, you know? Because so, so many successful companies have come out of there, you know, you just feel like if I can just get in, then I'm then I'm set. Is there does that kind of flow through your mind?
1: You totally see that. I mean, for us, less so, right? Because we're always the underdog, and we got rejected once, yeah, yeah, so, right. So, um, so when we got in, our mentality was a little bit different. Yeah. I mean. Regardless of what Y Combinator do to us, I mean, we're still gonna carry on the daily operation right. and whatever we have been doing. It's not easy, and we have been doing it for like you know five months before we apply for Y Combinator. We know that life is gonna be different, but yeah. uh, at the same time, you're gonna you know life is mostly the same. It's just right, like the right. way that you see it, perceive it, how do you do it is different. Um, so when we got in, my you know definitely a lot of the uh, people. That we have met not only Y Combinator, 500 startup, you know tech stars. Um, when you got got in, sort of like oh, I got into the IVs, right? Like right, you know, yeah, I yeah. got into the Ivy League school. You know, investment banking is gonna throw <laughs> me an offer, <laughs> a offer, yeah. and then uh, I'm gonna be like super rich. Like right? you know, five years out of after college, I'm gonna retire, right? That's what you think about. Sure. And Y Combinator is the same thing, right? Um, you know, even even with that mentality, we still think like wow. So now investors from Silicon Valley is going to throw money at us. Right. Right? And, um, we're going to
0: be up on this pedestal no matter what happens, a demo day, there's going to be so many influential people there. It's going to have to be somebody that's interested in what we're doing.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's kind of like what you see, but we knew it's not going to be easy. Sure. And yeah. especially given that, I mean, and also the mentality was a little bit different given that when you're in, you have seen a lot of other startups that's fantastic, right? Um, all of a sudden, you're not, you know, I mean, from not making Y combinator to making Y combinator, now you're in a different level of uh, competition in a sense. Right. So you're seeing like all this other amazing people working on amazing projects. Um all of a sudden you'll be like, wow we're we gotta, we still on the dock, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like you got into Harvard, you walk around, but oh, everyone's from Harvard, right? <laughs> everyone's like, super smart. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone's like, you know, gonna, you know, everyone claimed that they're going to be president one day. So it's the same thing. Uh, you got into Y Combinator, everyone's amazing.
0: It's such a fascinating uh, dynamic, and I want to hit on it in one sec, but after the, in- the second interview, yeah. so... First of all, did you guys feel like you nailed it, and this time you were gonna get it? And were you at? A, did you go back to the same sushi restaurant, or like how, what was the moment when you guys found out you got in and the reaction?
1: Yeah, we we, we definitely went for sushi that night. <laughs> you have to close that loop. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was actually the s- most expensive dinner that we had, uh, like in five months that we were in San Francisco. I guess we I remember we spent about like sixty three dollars. For sushi, for three of us, it's actually honestly not that expensive. No, it's not but bad. then <laughs> you can imagine, uh, like usually our meal was like we cook a bunch of rice and then we bought a lot of sauce and just like mix it together. And oh like, man, that um, sounds awful. Yeah, <laughs> for five months, um, and I was the cook, so it's even more awful. Um, <laughs> um, and but like you know, the day after we did the second interview um, was um, we knew, like first of all, the interview didn't last long within the first 3 4 minutes the interview part of it was pretty much done they were like oh what are you working on who are you targeting where are you like what kind of uh, what status do you, uh are you guys on right now like what kind of things you are doing what are you planning to do that part didn't really last that long the second part was pretty much they were like mm, how can we help you so when we get into that stage we sort of get a sense of like this is not so much of an interview anymore. It's more of a conversation. Right. And we honestly still don't know whether you do well or not because every single day uh, they only pick like you know um, you know a number of the startup. So you still the chance of you getting in is still pretty small. Yeah. Uh, so for us, we're like, oh, maybe they do it for every single startup. So uh, we went back. What we decided to do is like we we finish what we want to do. Uh, we did what. Well, you know we came here for it we presented ourselves mm. we did it again and we made it to this stage again so we went back we're like let's not talk about it so we went back one of my co founder went, went to bed uh, immediately just like, oh, so tired um, and two of us were just like you know playing video games and watching, video, uh, watching you know some movies online basically just like trying not to think about it sure, sure. Uh, obviously you're still nervous we knew we we're gonna get a phone call or an email that night so I was This time, I didn't put my phone on the table. I was basically refreshing email all the time um, and trying to see when do I see the rejection letter. Um, But then, um, you know, my co-founder received a phone call um, around like 6 p.m.-ish. I was actually on conference call with somebody else at the time. And they were just like, you know, waving their hand, telling me, I was like, oh, I I sort of know what's going, what what happened. Um, So we got in. And the funny thing was that the co-founder, one of my co-founders, the one who went to sleep, um, he went to sleep again after he heard the news, and he woke up was like, "Wait, I just dreamed like we got into Y Combinator, but <laughs> like uh, that wasn't a dream. We actually got in. I was like, really? That was that was not a dream. Like, <laughs> there was there was that kind of uh, excitement that we had. That um, must have
0: been awesome. How many how many people get accepted into each batch?
1: Um, our batch was relatively small, yeah. um, compared to the other batches, um, before and after us. Um, it was about fifty. Fifty. Uh, okay. I remember. Um.
0: So, yeah, 50 teams. God, wow. man. Go, like when you finally go in and get set up on site, 50, you're all together, right? Yeah. 50 teams of like super motivated and like, you know, bright and creative people. Must have been, it must have been amazing. Yeah.
1: Like one of the team, the co founders, all of them were just high school graduate. <laughs> Think about that. And the moment they closed their big Series A, the person turned eighteen or seventeen. Oh my god. So you'd be like you're working <laughs> with like people who are to that level. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there are uh there are people who just like every one of them is fantastic. Um there's a crowdfunding there are quite a number of crowdfunding startup and one of the co founder of a crowdfunding startup he helped he helped draft the the law for crowdfunding. So you'd be like, whoa, like, like all of, everyone there was superstar. Is there much
0: time to, like, interact with all the different teams and create those networks and friendships and stuff? Or is, is it just so much work to be done that you, not much time to do it? We definitely
1: try to make time to, yeah. um, to get to know each other. And mm. it was, um, it was a fascinating experience. Because, um, you know, it's, it's like when you go to a good university from high school, you feel like, oh, you used to be me against the world. And now you have you know, a lot of people who are like minded. Right. And when you got into Y Combinator it's the same, right? Just that everyone is like minded. And you know, you have this pain, you fail a startup, you talk to everyone, it's like, Yeah, I've been through that. And um you're like, Oh, I find my best friend, yeah, I did. Man. I find my husband, right? Like you you'll be like, Okay. Um so um so that was very exciting to to be able to actually talk about your experience with people who actually understand. Yeah. I
0: can't, I can't even imagine because like you said, so often, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm doing the startups. Like, Oh really? What's that about? And you know, people come from so many different places in life and every day you meet different people, but just just to be like injected into an environment where like everybody's pretty much on the same page, you know, and, and and has similar ambitions and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It It must be so motivating.
1: Yeah. It's totally motivating. And, you know, and being able to just like, you always in, as immersing like this group of people who are always thinking about innovating yeah. and like out-innovate even themselves yeah. Um, it's very it's kind of it push you forward sure. it definitely push you and forward you see
0: all these people working super hard and you know you see that what they're trying to do it must really be like you know y- again to use a word it must really motivate you because you see all these people around you like damn that guy's working hard or she's working harder. you know oh that team is so like they're on point they're so clear they're so focused they're testing you know it must you know it, re- it must supercharge what you guys were doing with strikingly at the time right totally yeah, yeah
1: definitely it was uh it gave us the you know you, you see that uh, there are people who you think so much better than you are working so much harder than you yeah and that was both scary and <laughs> motivating right sure. so
0: and what were some of the highlights of the of the program
1: i mean there were a lot um i mean we made a lot of great friends um people that you would definitely invite to your to your wedding yeah. right um um the 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 demo day was definitely you know one of the just one of the best memory in your life that Wh- you're gonna remember is that? just think about this you're like on the stage and then down there it was like 200 300 i think it was like 300 ish like um, best angel investors and like central valley investors yeah. the legendary ones down there and you need to be up there talking like super confident about what you're doing How, ner- and that's quite How nervous quite interesting were you? very nervous yeah. um but i guess at that point i was already you passed the point of nervous you're just like at a point of like your mind's on this limbo and you practice like too much um that all of the things that you you say it, it's just natural right, right? And i would be like waking up every single day um the first thing i would be like all right we're striking you, <laughs> you, you start so
0: you, you really you practice the, the oh yeah, the every
1: single line even the joke that i make on that presentation i definitely <laughs> practice that I, like to a point that i don't even think it's funny anymore i'm still laughing that joke you know it's uh it's that feeling but um um but you know that that's one of those memories takes. Yeah, yeah that's what it takes
0: so I mean, we could talk about the program forever, but you know we we, we got to move on so but with the demo day, did you guys have uh, you know interested investors after that, or what what was the what happened after the program ended
1: yeah so um so after the program ended, you're supposed to raise your first round of funding yeah and um and for us we're we're a little bit lucky um that we actually finished that whole process within around two weeks um so we didn't have to worry about it too much. Um, after two weeks, we get back to product. We start working on expanding the team. You finished raising the first investment after two weeks. Yeah, after the after the demo day. Was it from
0: investors that were at the demo day?
1: Yeah, uh, uh, most of them. Um, yeah. A few of them we actually knew them beforehand. Right. Um, but we try to close it as as fast as we can. And around that time, we we're already kind of like profitable. Yeah. Um. So we're not like you know super. You know, you know this like I super urge of like raising a lot, so we really try to get it done as soon as we can.
0: So at, at the end of the program, you have how many
1: users? Um, around that time, let me think. Fifty k ish. Wow. Yeah.
0: Okay. So a big jump from the eight hundred. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> testers that you had before. Yeah. So fifty k. You give the presentation. Presumably, there's a few investors that want to have a chat with you. Mm-hmm. This this aspect of startup like culture and process is so fascinating to me and I think it's such a gray area for so many people, mm-hmm. you know, people that entrepreneurs that want to get involved, they have this great idea, great team, these huge ambitions to change the world, make a lot of money, but that part in between like the nitty-gritty legal financial stuff, you know, I f- I feel like they just like okay, we're going to cross that bridge when we come to it because we have no idea how that's going to go down. Yeah. Can you explain that process a little bit for for strikingly because I think it's incredibly fascinating, and also, you know, maybe again uncertain to know when you meet with investors. You just came out of a super intensive program. How much should we be looking for? How much should we give away? What are the terms? Who do we want to work with? What are the strategic partnerships? All those questions that I feel like would might be difficult to answer. So, how did you guys approach that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're lucky. Like any of this, um, you know, incubator program can have people who have done it and um, you know, kind of who have been there before. Yeah. So we talked to Y Combinator a lot throughout this process of um, fundraising, and we got a lot of feedback from them, a lot of suggestions of how we can do it, and even the terms that we use were very standard Y Combinator terms. Right. Um. So they have done it enough times; they they can you know tell you. What to do and what not to do. I mean, in the end, though, still, it's like it's like it's like matching, right? Like it's yeah. kind of like you go like out a like, date, right? right? Yeah. It's, it's speed dating. It's exactly like speed dating, yeah. pretty much. Um, you know, um, chemistry matters so much more. Yeah. Um, do you like to work with this investor, and do the does the investor like to work with you? Yeah. Um, it's also both way selection, right? Like, you know, would you enjoy this relationship um, going forward? Because when you bring on an investor, you pretty much bring on somebody that you have to interact with like for the life of your st- yeah, you're married you're, you're kinda of married to You're them, married right? and yeah. you got married to many of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> in that sense. So um you have to be careful. But at the same time, you, you know, um this is a it's a process that you kind of you have to learn as you go. Right. I don't think um any textbook can teach you all the in and outs. Um 'cause especially like, you know, even if you read all of the Dating masters like dating books you're probably not going to be good at dating, <laughs> yeah, yeah. unless you start trying out and sure. uh, that was part of the process and um you know your mentality started to change. you start looking at this um differently the um the kind of uh, the the legal part and the the logistic part of it was actually the easy part of it right. um it's more of like how does it affect your mental uh, affect you mentally, how right. do you see this, how can you actually? Um, you know get through a lot of rejections um without losing faith on what you're doing right and yeah. you
0: guys had a bit of a and i presume some are like this and some other and some others aren't but you had the luxury of having in, uh, revenue with the with strikingly already at that time right so yeah. again like you said you didn't necessarily you weren't in, a, in dire straits for the the money so you could you had that flexibility to look for a partnership that was really in line with the team and your principles and your mission and stuff like that, right?
1: Yeah, but that was definitely, yeah, go ah, ahead. So I was sorry.
0: just going to say, how, how, you know, you, you guys rate, was this when the the 1.5 million raise? Yeah. So when when you do, just for, you know, basic uh, understanding of this, when you set that figure, do you just look at, like, your users and your recent growth and the revenue you, you're bringing in and then how much you want to give away and then you come up with a number or how, how does that work?
1: It's pretty, uh, it's, it's a pretty subjective decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, obviously you have to know how much you would need. I mean, usually the decision is made by, you know, how much you would need to take it to the next level. Right. And the next level usually mean like another funding run, um, your next milestone, yeah. whatever, right? So whatever we des- define as the next level. Mm-hmm. So um, since we already have uh, revenue coming in, uh, most of the money will be using to expand the team. Yeah. um, And kind of like the operational cost for us was not that high. So, we can actually be fine, but really, we want to use it to really invest in the team, mm-hmm. uh, rather than advertising, whatever. So, we kind of did some very very rough cal- calculation, and we decided, like, you want to have a runway with a good team size for about, you know, 18 months or so, um, and that's kind of how we calculated, based on Silicon Valley um, uh, salary, obviously. Right. So um, So, we did that calculation, and that was, like, you know, a good range for us, given that um and and we want to raise just enough for us to do that rather than like going crazy about right. you know doing fundraising um and we also want to keep the process as short as possible mm-hmm. um so all of that factor in and yeah. that's what we decided to do
0: nice right. so so you came out of y common air two weeks later you've got one and a half million dollars of a seed round yeah what happens next party <laughs> uh, no more rice and and ketchup
1: <laughs> i mean we actually uh again just like y combinator you feel like everything changed but at the same time it seems like um at the same time it seems like nothing changed um so um we went back we we're like i guess the only thing that changes that when you look at your bank statement it has a one in front yeah, how does that how does that work? So you close the
0: round and the the company account that you have set up. I mean, are, you know, does does Y Combinator take any of that money or or, or you know, commissions taken out here and there? Or did you just look and there's one and a half million in your account? then?
1: Well, I mean, usually it's a uh, you you kind of like uh, you since we were very small, you basically just raise the funding yourself. If right. there's any like third party, obviously there's there's going to be a commission, but yeah. for us we didn't. So. It's basically you ask them to all wire into your account, and then we have that you know number. That must so, be pretty cool. That was pretty cool, right? <laughs> like you see, like those uh usually you see like uh, you know uh, negative, yeah, like negative <laughs> or like uh, small digit. As all of a sudden there's a one and a comma, and you'll be like, whoa, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, um, and you pull out your card, you'd be like, whoa, this uh, this card that I'm holding right now has 1.5 mil. Um, so. Well, it was very interesting. I mean, definitely, um, definitely very exciting. Yeah. Um, but more sushi involved at this point? Uh, or? Definitely more sushi. <laughs> we went back to that place that <laughs> uh, that we didn't finish that sushi buffet, and with this time, we finished every single piece just that we ate, had. You just ate them dry. Oh yeah, <laughs> we sit on the same table. <laughs> we I sat on exactly the same seat. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, uh, it's nice to
0: have that like ceremonial component oh, to all this. Oh, totally. Right?
1: And we talk about this. Like, we want to go back there if uh, we accomplish another big milestone. After,
0: after, after the uh, series A, you go back <laughs> yeah. to the same sushi. Oh, place? totally.
1: <laughs> like, that's definitely the plan. Uh, we will just buy the ticket, going back to that exactly same same sushi place just oh, for that. Awesome. Um, but, um, but yeah, it was very awesome to have the money in the bank. Um, but you know we still have to focus on the product. Sure. And right now, the problem is a little bit different, right? Fundraising is a it's a problem. It's kind of a, a piece of the puzzle you have to figure out. Mm. But um, there are many other pieces um, in this puzzle that you have to figure out in startup. And something uh, actually much more difficult than funding, for example, hiring and actually building up a team. Mm-hmm. How do you manage a team? Because right now, it's not just the three of us that, stay in the same room for like, you know, two, three years, um, even sleep on the same bed. It's not that anymore. The dynamics is going to be different. How do you build a team culture? How do you build a team? How to become a leader, you know, how How do you be a leader? How do you manage other people? Exactly. Like, how do you, how do you manage them? How do you manage them without really managing, right? Like how, like all of these problems start coming to surface. And how do you even find the best talent? Super steep learning curve. Oh, super, super steep. I think that's, this learning curve was really like really transformative. I bet. Um and I, I would say, I mean, fundraising was one of those milestones for me personally mm-hmm. that you have to get through a lot of hurdles, both mentally and um, you know, percep like your perception has to change about how this market works and how does the uh, how does it work. Um and you know, building up a team and actually working with people um that you brought on and you know, communicate a vision Um, helping them on board and working on the product, it's a complete new level of problem. So, um, and funding can, you know, this is actually one of the uh, post-funding syndrome that, you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs will probably experience, which is that you receive the funding and be like, oh, now we're set, right? right? right. Uh, Because we haven't been through that. So you, um, and we definitely fall, you know, under this trap, which is, um, we felt we felt like, oh, we can relax for a period of time. Right. We didn't go crazy partying, but you kind of like relax a little bit. Right. And like, oh, now let's talk about lifestyle a little bit, right? Yeah. You know? And that was the least thing you should do. The eye um, comes off the ball a bit, right? The totally shifts a bit. You okay. should focus even more. Yeah. It's like you should like now you have the money. You should like you know, tie up your helmet and just march forward. Now right. you have the resources, rather than oh, we made it. That's not made it. You like you only have that because. Um you needed it to move faster. Yeah. Not needed that to have your life better. Yeah. I mean, if that was the the thing that you were looking for, why would you do startup in the first place? Yeah. And you and go that, full circle to realize that. And that
0: and that money is basically someone paying for you to work your ass off for the yeah. next, you know, however long, right? So it's yeah. not it's not really like we have that cushion of one point five million. It's like someone has given us that with the with huge expectations attached, right? Yeah.
1: That's that's totally true. I mean, um, I mean even even now. I mean, we haven't honestly, we haven't really spent that much of that money. We, yeah. like, our profitability have been good. We are still hiring like crazy right now. Like how many sh- how many
0: people you guys have?
1: We have about twenty right wow. now. So uh, we're still trying to hire a lot of people. Uh, I mean, if. Anybody you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we'll definitely.
0: I, anybody listening for sure. I mean, we'll, we'll give out your contact details at the end of the show. Awesome. Um, but w- w- why? T- so this all happened in Mountain View in, in California. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I I feel like the atmosphere there, as we discussed, must be intoxicating, motivational, etc. Why? It just strikingly is fa- is based in China now, right? Yeah. So why so, why come back to Shanghai?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> it's actually a very practical decision because uh, I'm Chinese. And you sure. know, <laughs> US has this uh, very um, debatable law for uh, immigrants right. um, to work in the US, especially like for us working on startups, pretty much counted as like unemployed, yeah. right? And uh, that's bad asset for them. So um, for us getting a visa was really hard. So we have um, we have to move back to China. We have to actually. Um, you know, find another place that we don't have to deal with the whole, you know, status, immigration status issue. So we moved back. We start working on, you know, um, you know, striking in China, yeah. and we start building up the team here. And um, you know, we went to Beijing first, and then we, now we're in Shanghai. We build up a team. Most of our team are here. Um, you know, some of them are in Singapore and um and the Philippines. But you know, that whole process uh, of building up a team in China actually. Strengthen our belief in actually um, forming a team right. here locally in China.
0: So I've got so many questions about this. I'll try to uh, we'll try to get to them <clears> quickly. But so one of the questions is: most most of the chi- the people you're hiring in China are Chinese. We staff?
1: actually brought uh, brought quite a few people from the U.S. Okay. um to join us in Shanghai. Yeah. Um, I mean that process will that process is uh, <laughs> compared to the U.S. process. That process is way easier. Uh, bring a foreigner to China sure, and sure. work with a Chinese company. Um, so, I mean, we have been doing that, um, and we're trying to have a good mix of yeah. people from both U.S. and China, because our our market is global, um, primarily U.S. but global. Yeah. Um, so we want people to understand not only the China, not only the China market, and um, most most importantly, that's it's actually the the Western market. So U.S., Europe, uh, Japan. Uh, this market, the user, uh, the the consumer behavior are similar. Mm-hmm. Um they have like similar kind of a uh, you know um spending behavior yeah. um so we still want people who understand the market so we're trying to we're trying very aggressively to bring people <clears throat> from the u s canada um and this summer we actually have um quite a few interns who came from US university and intern with us and one of them decided to stay. Cool. So cool. um and two of them went back to school. So you know, this is a, you know, we want to be an international team. Um, yeah. even in China. And Shanghai is actually compared to many other cities in China, you have been to many of them. Shanghai is a very international city. Really? So yeah, yeah. so being in Shanghai is actually you don't really have that kind of a barrier um to culture as yeah. much as like anywhere else. Like Imagine if you bring a foreigner to Guangzhou, then you know it's a bit more shocking. There's, uh, you, there's
0: less things that they might be familiar with. Yeah, and, you know, less comforts from home and all that kind of stuff. Totally,
1: and yeah. foreigner like the population of foreigner is also different, right? Sure. So our we got actually moved back to um, we even in Beijing we see some problem that's like you know that you know some of our team members doesn't really. Get a feel of Beijing, yeah. And our Prada is not. I, un- really, I understand that,
0: right? <laughs> yeah, you you have been there. <laughs> not a huge fan,
1: right? So, um, so our you know the the Prada got kind of like selected into like to Shanghai, and right. uh, when we moved to Shanghai, we managed to bring so many like great talents on board. And now we just moved to a new office. and like you know we're trying to expand the team, and just that process in Beijing will be much more of a barrier. Yeah. Um. And for us, it's much much more natural to be in Shanghai.
0: Are you restricted in any way by uh, you know working on a product that 's primarily that your primary market is not like in the country that you 're you 're set up in
1: totally i mean i i think there's there 's always like a, one set of problems that seems have no solution for startup <laughs> right um so i mean uh we have to make a decision at that time to decide whether we want to you know keep on working on this or you know running the risk of like getting expelled from the U S and not being able to get in for the longest period of time. Right. So um, we decided the best course of action, which is uh, we have to move back. So how do we stay communicated with the U S community? Mm-hmm. Um, And we'll build up a support team. Basically our whole, like we call this happiness officer team, which is our support team that's running 24 hours. We're trying to make sure that our communication is to the level that, you know, it's, when you're away you have to do even more to uh, to make sure that users stay very close to you yeah. so our um, our support team is running very smoothly 24 uh, hour sh- shift and then we're trying to make sure that all of our um user requests got responded within the first day yeah. they got sending and that was a rate that is actually hard to maintain um at any level but so far we have been doing okay on that end and um at the same time we have, always have this culture that everyone um customer service. So sure. everyone needs to talk to customers very directly to make sure that, you know, if we're not physically there, you have to understand them by talking to them even more. Yeah. So even now, like, if you sign up to strike me, you still receive an email from me. And I still talk to users on a daily basis. Right. Every single day after lunch, I will block out, like, an hour and a half, basically responding to user emails. That's cool. Um, That's cool. So I still, like, have that you want to stay in touch. And yeah. um, I still st- I schedule a lot of... Uh, Calls with the users that go back constantly, and you basically just get much more discipline um, when you're away. Because you have to be. You have to be. Yeah. Um, and that disciplinary, like the discipline that you set up, um, is actually that can go a long way. Since, mm. um, since you know, you with the discipline you build a culture of like caring about the users. Um, right. Whereas, you know, in the U.S., you probably would do that naturally and the system might not be built up as much. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always a pros and cons. Sure, um, sure. I mean, we we still want to, we definitely want to build up a U.S. team um, and actually soon. <clears throat> but but at the same time, we, you have to work with what you have.
0: Yeah. And it seems like in that case, you know, because the visa in the U.S. was so hard, you guys came back to your home country. You've turned that potentially negative situation into a positive. But I, I speak with a lot of entrepreneurs here, obviously, that... They also are working here for whatever reason, girlfriend, family, former job, whatever, but their market is outside of China. What are some of, except other than the one that you just mentioned, what are some of the benefits of being based in China? You know, are, are, you know staff, can, can your financial resources hire more people? Is it, what's the education level of the workforce? Like what, for people that are thinking about coming to Shanghai for maybe reasons other than just their entrepreneurial idea, what benefits can be derived from, from being based here?
1: Um, that's a very interesting question. I mean, there are many things that you think about, and you learn basically after you got forced to be based here. Yeah. You learn a lot of this, as you said, benefits that you can you, you otherwise you would not see when you're away. Um, first of all, China market itself is very exciting, yeah. right? When you t- think about this market, even our market in China, it's kind of like a plain sheet. There's nobody really doing well. Like in the U.S., you, we have some major competitors but in China nobody's doing this do you
0: guys have a Chinese version or do you
1: not yet not but yet. um China market is always something we keep in mind yeah. but it's something that you know even for me as a Chinese studying, studying in the US for such a long time coming back you have to get used to the Chinese culture the Chinese market sure. so we have to learn um, and that process takes a long time. And I don't think compared to the U.S. market, Chinese market is even harder to learn, even for Chinese. Yeah. Um. There's so many moving pieces. So the population kind of – um, since the population is huge, you have to understand the inside and outs. Of things, like, ha- things happen so fast. And things happen seems. so fast, right? Like yeah. things change all the time. You never really know what's going on. Um, two years ago or three years ago, WeChat was not even there, right? Yeah. Think about that, right? Yeah. So um, now it's everyone. Like so
0: four or five hundred million users daily, some something crazy. Yeah, you know?
1: like uh, that. You just like you have to be here to understand that market and the yeah. market potential and the opportunities here. It's uh, phenomenal. Like right? you just you can't. Um, in the U.S., you get that excitement of everyone's working on startup. In China, it's just like I guess everyone's trying to work on startup, but this market is so open. Yeah. Right you have so much more opportunity, yeah. so that's one opportunity we're always keeping in the back of our mind um now that we're based here, we actually build up a team. It's easier for us to go after it right um second thing is definitely talent, right I mean um one thing is that like especially Shanghai um we move from Beijing to Shanghai, Beijing already have a little bit of like the startup buzz startup kind of like you know um frenzy that people go going to start up um Shanghai is less so and um there's a good and bad for that. Like there's uh, being in a market that's a little bit less competitive in a sense. You can really pick the top pa- talents mm-hmm. and give them a new type of lifestyle. Yeah. Um a new way of like, you know, pursuing what they want. Um and that's really appealing to um a lot of the the top talents in China. Mm-hmm. Um when you think about Silicon Valley, uh Beijing even, um fighting for top talents uh, is a war. Right? Really? You you basically like, um, you're not only fighting with like the other startups um in the valley, you have to fight with Google. Right. Um, you know, Facebook and um every one of them is offering better package, <laughs> um, you know, better lifestyle, right. um better cafeteria. Better cafeteria for <laughs> sure. Um and what you can offer is like, you know, and you know, compared to all all of the things they can offer, you're already kind of like second rated. Yeah. And um compared to any other startup, you might not have the best advantage either. Yeah. So what end up happening, I mean, either way you have to find the best fit, but still it's just a war. Fighting for fighting for the best talent. In Shanghai, since um it's kind of a new industry in a sense um and not many people are in the startup world in Shanghai, especially tech mm. um you know given the best university in- in Shanghai and the talent pool here, you actually have a way um you know way better chance bring the top talents and we're talking about A players um bring b players or like you know, people who are good enough, and you can find that anywhere. But, mm. you know, fighting for... The war is always fighting for A and A-plus player. Right. And in Shanghai, we're able to actually do that. Yeah. And uh, there were multiple times that we came across a candidate who would be like, oh, if we're, if we're in the Valley, we'll probably have already hired this person. But in Shanghai, we have the luxury of absolutely have no compromise on team quality. And that really, you know... Like working a startup, what are you looking for? You you're looking for something that you enjoy doing, right? Like yeah. you have to have the people that you enjoy working with.
0: Well, I was just gonna ask, you know, because when people come out of an accelerator program, when they close a round of funding, typically there's a huge hiring spree, right? Because you have the money and you need to yeah. you need to grow your business, and it's. It's not something that people talk about that much, but it, for, from the conversations I've had, it's a huge challenge, you know, because like you said, you're trying to get top talent. There's a war on for top talent. And then getting them on board and, you know, getting them to believe in what you're doing. So how, how do you guys at Strikingly attract those people? You know, of, of course, it, apart from their salary and stuff like that, but how do you really get them to come on board and be passionately engaged in what you guys are trying to do?
1: Yeah, this always, I mean, we're, I'm still learning that yeah. process. Um, but one thing that I realized is that this is not a sales process. It's um, You can't really sell somebody something that they don't want. Mm-hmm. Maybe they want it because of their sales pitch in a short term, but in the long term, they have to see, like this has to be something that actually can help them grow or help them get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. So we always have this philosophy of um, the only way for the company to, <clears throat> to succeed is that everyone have succeeded in what they want to do. Yeah. So in the interview, like one question that I always ask them is that you know, for your next opportunity, what are the three things they looking to the most, um, and rent them for me. Um, I want to make sure that I can deliver them, um, you know, to you, mm-hmm. um, and want to make sure that you're like minded with the other people, and um, you know, in the end, I mean, this is a. This is a double way kind of selection um and uh from my experience so far, team is team and um you know the philosophy of the product are really you know the most attractive points for people, so for us, you know, as I said, we're trying to have no compromise on team quality, yeah. absolutely no compromise, so you absolutely have to be the best, not just like. You know, not just on your skill set, your experience, but also on your mentality, right? Can, are you a likable person? Are you uh, are you somebody who can inspire others, who can teach others? Um, you know, what kind of variety can you bring on the team? All of those matters a lot, and we are trying to build up a team that everyone will just like. You you can. Make lifelong friends with uh, each other, and you enjoy coming to work because you just want to see these people. The experience we had yeah. when we applied for y- when we failed to apply for Y Combinator, the uh, we failed Y Combinator the first time. The reason why we decided to continue, right? And the second thing that um, we um, we see that has been very powerful is um, how we think about product. How do we think about this market, right? How? You know why do we actually exist? That has to be very rock solid. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to like on product. We also have the philosophy of like we don't create secondary like second rated product. Like we don't create product that we um, we don't think should exist in the world. Right. Um, and we have a very high standard for how we are creating our product. And our product is very design-driven. So we really want to make it a state-of-the-art mm-hmm. kind of product. And it's not something that we want to say, oh, building a website, great, drag and drop, do whatever you want. We want to make sure that our users, even when they build a website from us, we want to make sure that they don't even have, uh, they, they don't have to worry about design, they don't have to worry about, you know, they messing up the design. That's all of, all of those are our responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the level of um perfection um perfectionism that we we um we took um in creating our product um was something that we really um we really kind of bring to our work culture. Yeah. And um people who really like that level of um you know um the the level of like you know, perfectionism that um we bring to the product and the, the workforce um will really excel in our company. Um the people who are like Oh i'm just doing this because you know um uh we can make money. those are the people who naturally filter themselves out right, so you build up this like self uh, like um you know kind of self growing self like you know uh, enhancing system that everyone start feeling like this is something that they want, and right. the one with even with everyone that we bring onto the team and just enhance the attractiveness and it's not just like you know, oh, you know the funding. You know the kind of a uh, market that we have is that everyone who got into the team they bring something to the team culture, which makes it even more attractive to the other people. Right.
0: Yeah. And did you bring any? You know, we we've all heard of the kind of office culture environment in a lot of the startup scene in the West, like in, in Silicon Valley and other places. Did you bring any of that to, China, to to your base here in China because typically in China as far as I understand and I know this is beginning to change but you know you could be at one of the biggest internet companies in China and it's not like sushi cafeteria and you know uh, nerf guns and you know it's still relatively meat and potatoes office sort of environment have you like in order to entice your staff even more maybe make them more productive happier at work this sort of thing have you brought any of those sort of Environment and office design elements into your to your base.
1: Yeah, that like you are invited to our new office. Oh, I'd love to check it out. <laughs> yeah, uh, where, uh, where is it? Um, it's uh, up in Yangpu, so uh, oh, okay. <clears throat> so a little bit north uh, from the city center. But um, you are invited to come. Um, one thing that we definitely want to have is um, the openness. Yeah. So you walk into the office. One thing that we say is, no matter where you stand in the office, you can see everyone pretty much. Right. And then you can see like it's just a very big open space. And two sides of our office are windows. So you, you just have this like great view outside. And yeah. we make it like and when we design the table, we're like, you know, we don't want cubicles. We don't even want anything that blocks it. So we have table, just a flat table on in the office. And um and the design of it we really went to the details. It's like wide and really clean. Um, so we're trying to bring like working environment is very important when you think about this you you're gonna spend like what uh ten twelve hours yeah, big at, part uh, of your life yes. right like it's that's you know majority of your you know waking life um that you are spending in the office you want to make sure that it's fantastic, so our office. Uh, we want to make it pretty much just a very enjoyable environment very minimal by design right. but at the same time very modern I, just I gotta, like our product
0: I gotta ask you you know you just talked about when you were design there's a new office right? yeah when you're designing this new office you're planning it out you're thinking about it you're making space for all the new staff yeah do you take a moment and be, and you know just stop and reflect and be like shit you know like you remember when you're you know sharing a, a bathroom stall size apartment with your two co-founders you know prior to Y combinator, and you know, like we said, eating the rice, eating the ramen, and all this kind of stuff. And now, you know, you're planning this really nice office for lots of different people, and things are really rolling. Like, wh- when you when you have those moments of reflection, what what are they, what, what must it be like?
1: Um, it's yeah, it's definitely a moment of serenity that you like <laughs> just you stand there and be like. Wait, <laughs> right. I mean, even when I was doing fundraising, I always uh, sometimes get super depressed. Sure. Uh, I would drive up to the small apartment that we stay um, in San Francisco, which is, you know, as I said, it's like really bathroom size, yeah. and um, um, we live with um, like our our very close. Uh, roommate uh, were two mouths in the in her room um, and uh, it smells like Chinese and Indian food wow. <laughs> the whole time and we can't open the windows like freezing um, it was even like in July and August in San Francisco it's kind of like the west side of San Francisco close to Golden Gate Bridge yeah freezing all the time. If we open a window even by a little bit, we'll freeze to death. And like that's how much like it was uh and there's never sunshine, so the room just looks like dark the right. whole time. It's on the second floor, but it feels like you're just in the basement. And so humid and every single day you'll be like you wake up, you're like, oh why why did I get myself into this situation? <laughs> and every single day I'll be cooking, as I said, right? Like you'll be making you know, a pot of rice that's only enough to feed Three people, three men, and uh, and uh, the only like there there's sometimes we cook meat, sometimes we cook meat. And we have like four pieces of like beef in this beef stew, and there's three of us, <laughs> so we're just like competing who's the fastest to finish your one own piece. one
0: for each, and then the, the two mice split the other. Piece. <laughs> yeah, something like that.
1: Um, so I mean that the uh, and uh, back then was really stressful. I mean now I can talk about it as like oh it's like one of the times. Um, but you know, around that time, you uh, I have to you know kind of keep my mind kind of clear every right. single day. I actually have to run. I w- every single day I will run towards um, the ocean side, uh, which is like right you know, on the on the coast um, in San Francisco. Uh, and run back. It was like kind of a four mile run. I was right. like, "Wow, I did that every single day for like two wow, months." that's
0: good to clear your head and get some exercise, get the blood flowing.
1: Oh yeah, I totally like lost a lot of weight. <laughs> I lost like fifteen, <laughs> like seventeen pounds uh, the first like two months, um, and um, and you kind of like you just have to like get your mind straight. Um, that was the time when you know that was those experiences really like get you uh, when you think about those. Um, there are two things. First is that you'd be like. You give you that sense of optimism, right? right? Like when you when you think about this we'll be like, oh what's the worst that can happen? We we'll have experienced that.
2: Right.
0: Um, maybe we'll go back. It gives you the confidence to, to you know, if and when the the time comes to kinda of risk it all or to yeah. you know to give everything you have and to know that, well, if all this you know, if all this falls apart I'm, I can still get by right on you know, on very, very little obviously yeah.
1: yeah,, so that's one thing that you definitely see. The second thing is that you appreciate so much um, of what you have gotten so far, yeah. uh, you appreciate the people around you, you appreciate the resources you got um, you know you brought in, you appreciate the people who have ever helped you sure. um, you know, like the first pay user for striking me was a Harvard girl. Um, uh, fourth year at Harvard. She was graduating. She just graduated, actually. She used the site to build her own business and like uh, a site for women in business in Harvard. We gave her a lifelong free. Striking me, nice. like, you, you can use it for free. Like yeah. right? you just start appreciating all of those. Sure. And um, uh, and um, you know, the first advisor we got who believing us when we didn't even believe in ourselves um she was like oh you guys have the best product i really believe in you you should apply for y company there again that was when we're like "Ah, uh, really you believe in our product she was like yeah we do. i really do and when we came back we're like oh maybe we should believe in our product as well <laughs> um so i mean with right now whatever she'll ask me to do i would be like you know that was i i will really have to pay back that- so you know, you start having that that sense of appreciation to everything, to um your coworkers, your partners, uh, parents, uh, girlfriends, you know, who support us through um this whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look at how much you have gained, um, you know, there's a long way to go from now. Sure. But at the same time, you see the past, you will be like, there's just like um you you have you have the sense of optimism, and then you just feel. A load of like thankfulness to yeah. like every everyone around you.
0: That's one of the things. I mean, and I, and again, like like you just said, you can at both simultaneously be thankful uh, and humble for what you've already gone through, but obviously you have a massive job and challenge ahead of you as well. <laughs> totally so balancing of the two. But what what I find so awesome about the startup community is, like you were saying, these people that supported you when you were doubtful. You know, you're the one trying to make this success and you're down on yourself but other people are lifting you up and people giving you advice and i think it's different from the traditional business community not that it doesn't exist at all there but you know the the traditional businesses are a little more you know people hold their cards a little closer to their chest and people a little more maybe egotistical boisterous you know whatever it's more traditional way of doing business where the startup culture in general just seems a lot more like community-based supportive you know you know just enthusiastic optimistic just and it's really awesome you know and, and people aren't most people aren't closed off everyone's willing to help everyone's willing to receive help and advice and i think that's not only the opportunity and the challenge which draws people to the community into doing startups but also is that camaraderie between people that may not even be in the same geographic location the same yeah. industry the same sex the same race the same religion but you know there's that uh, amazing connection and support between people and i think yeah. that's a really compelling reason to get involved in that sort of stuff
1: totally i mean and it also gives you a sense that you have to give uh, give back right. to right. the community right, right. Like, i mean somebody picked you up before and you have to pay back that karma to like somebody else who uh, who needed your help yeah. and i see that so many times from people who are so much more successful than us they'd be like I'll be like, why would you take this meeting? Why would you want to, you know, talk to us? And almost out of altruistic, you know, sure. kind of a feeling that you give us feedback. And the response is often like, somebody helped me before. Sure. The same way. Sure. And the only thing I ask you to do is you do the same. Well, I think it's it's
0: unbelievable to th- consider it, but I'm sure it's happened countless times. Where you know, for example, with you guys, was strikingly. You know, maybe had you not had that user in Morocco or that girl at Harvard, you know, encouraging you, you know, maybe you would have wound it up. You'd be like, "All right, guys, well, I'm going to go back to Goldman Sachs, and you know, I'll make a hundred grand a year. It's all good." You know, and it's amazing how history and the world and people's lives can be dictated by those like those
2: one
0: one, small moment, one small moments, like someone calling you up and say, "I love it. Keep it up." You know, when you're there in your shitty apartment and (laughs) and there's mice and stuff, and you're just like. You know what, guys? Let's let's keep pushing on this. You know, we 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 just we just blew the rest of our money on sushi. We were going to go home to go our separate ways. There's got to be something here, you know. And if she can believe it, if she can love it, if you know, let's keep going with it. It's yeah. a, it's amazing to consider how many things exist today because of situations just like that.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, even now that <clears throat> I went to, we have a lot of users in Japan. Every time I went to Japan, I would stay at my users' place. I like I basically just stay at. <laughs> their house like um, airbnb type thing oh yeah it's not even airbnb i, just, I, I, I was asked yeah I, t- I called them up i was like oh should i pay you they're like "Nah, don't worry about <laughs> it they'll cook me food i'll <laughs> nice. be sleeping with them and like not sleeping with them like i was sleeping <laughs> in the house uh, with them um and um and um you know we'll go out to like you know they would take me around to like Give visit. real experience oh yeah those just you make friends.
0: See people. You didn't. Even, you didn't even realize that's one of the benefits of starting your own business. You travel all over the world, and you can just email your <laughs> users and be like, "I need a place to crash. You mind if I stay for a couple of nights?"
1: Yeah, as long as don't be too creepy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yes. Be
0: polite and well behaved. <laughs> uh, so, um, where is Strikingly now? You know, we've 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 brought everyone up to speed on on the story of of Strikingly. Where are you guys now in terms of users? In terms of the business plan, when you'll be seeking more funding, growing the team? What's the status?
1: Um, I can't share some of the sensitive information, but sure, sure. I mean, um, you know, we're we're at an exciting time. Um, as I said, we're moving to the office tomorrow. Wait, the day after tomorrow. Oh, really? Oh, so you're not Monday? In yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So moving to the new office the day after tomorrow. We just finished the renovation. Uh, clean up the floor, and it just looks aw- awesome. Like everyone's so excited. We're moving to the new office, um, and we're expanding the team. So the office right now can hold up to like fifty to like um you know, if we stretch it, sixty people, and we only have about twenty. So we're really trying to expand the team big time right now. Um, and um, you know there are a lot of more opportunities that we're seeing, a lot of like challenges we've seen as well. Yeah. Um. Both scary and at the same time very motivating, right? And uh, we found a lot of problems. There's a lot of things that we build up that kind of gave us the the belief that um you know we have much more to do and much more to conquer. Uh, the markets, you know, the market uh, website building market might sound like boring. Um, some some people say like, oh, it's like it's 1997 type of thing, but um when when we look at it, it's like you know this is one of the one of the last kind of like barrier on the internet that people are still not able to get over with, like, no clear solutions. Yeah. We managed to reduce the difficulty by, you know, you know, not only one degree. We make it, you know, from hours or days of a process to minutes. Yeah. And one of our users literally blind, and he created a website all by himself. <laughs> and looking at all of those stories, you see the potential of... Um, You know both how much it can empower people, and also at the same time how big this market can be—not only just what it is, but what it can be. And the mobile um, technology, how the mobile kind of market demand right now completely changed the market landscape and open up the market completely again to new players like us. So uh, it's very exciting to see that, and the China piece was also very exciting. So there's so much more to do. Um, there's still a lot of things we didn't do well and mm-hmm. we want to fix. But um, w- the future is very uh, – what we have done is we're only scratching the face, the surface of, um, of what we can do. Yeah. Uh, website is sort of the prerequisite of any digital marketing when you think about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the potential of what we can help um, a user do after they build a website is unlimited. Um, right. We have so much more. There's uh, already users asking us for, you know, helping them with, like, the whole marketing suite. Um, There's a user asking us to help them with, like, content generation, help them with, like, inbound marketing, um, help them with, like, you know, um, um, uh, basically, like, help them even build up their startup, right? Like, there there are many things that we have seen that we can do that we haven't. Um, We're trying to stay focused, but uh, just that, you know, the possible, um, you know, direction we can go after, uh, building up the value add um kind of uh, ecosystem after just this simple piece of uh, a landing page or startup it's uh, a landing page and website um it's very exciting for all of us yeah. and we're still pushing really hard to that front
0: so you guys are very optimistic and excited for for what's to come
1: obviously yeah it's a uh, you you it's a uh, you know it's very challenging sure but I, uh I can't really but uh, the whole team is you have to have the mentality of like the more challenging it is, the more exciting you get. Yeah. Right. It's sort yeah. of like you're doing, you go to a gym, you know, every time you, you, you have a harder like bench press, you just like, you feel good. Right. right. Like you will be like, wow, I'm pr- pushing a hard, like a heavier you're gonna be, weight. You're going
0: to be better because of it, presumably. Right. Exactly.
1: And you have seen yourself grow so much. And then, imagine 2 years from now how much more you're going to grow yeah. it's just very exciting it
0: must be and actually that's a perfect segue cuz i always close the show with a little bit of time spent on the personal side of you know this whole thing that we've been discussing so you know we we talk about the company and the journey and almost you know it's almost kind of a rite of passage it seems to go through those really lean days where you know you you're uncertain you don't have a lot of money you're eating rice and ketchup and that sort of thing to where you are now where The vision is, you know, perhaps more clear, and things are starting to get traction, and things are growing, and still very challenging, but very exciting at the same time. But how do you, as an individual, uh, deal with the responsibilities that you have? You know how they affect your health, your relationships, your stress, your uncertainty, your anxiety. Like how do you go from a person that, you know, with a couple of good friends we're working on something that you were passionate about to now being in a position of great responsibility and in charge you know uh responsible for people's livelihoods and you know for managing a large staff and a growing company you know as on a personal level how do you manage that
1: yeah those a uh, you know i think you put it in the in one of the best way it's like you you somehow feel um you're responsible for everyone's uh livelihood mm-hmm. right and um their future yeah and um that's not an easy task I bet. and uh especially doing it for the first time It's uh you like I always said that if I have to score myself um on you know on my performance for the past year or two, I probably like fell at every <laughs> single level i'll give you I'll give myself a twenty or thirty um but um but at the same time, you know you know you you have to try really hard i mean those are the things that uh, start start with the users, right mm-hmm. I mean users demand um how they how you can change their life start like wake you up in the morning and kind of like keep you um from bed at night um right now that's another factor, which is uh, you know the people you work with the the comrades um that i have um we have brought onto the team and the people that you really cherish both as um a coworker but as a friend mm-hmm. um you just you feel so much more responsibility and that's a very heavy, you know, duty on my shoulder, but at the same time, it really pushes you forward. Um, and I think, you know, um, and it gives you a very kind of humbling experience as well, because you know, there's so much more. Um, these people are great people, um, mm-hmm. and they trust you. And um, you know, you just have to push yourself further, uh, so much faster. Yeah. Um, and how does that impact my personal life? Um, you know, obviously you don't have as much time to visit your parents. Which is which is uh which is a shame. Um I really wish I have more time to visit my parents. Right. Um with more time to spend with my girlfriend. Um but, you know, at the same time you feel so much more thankful with like their support. Right. right? I mean, um it's not easy. Sure. Um and uh I actually, I always wonder how can I grow, date a startup guy. <laughs> you, uh, we we are our our kind of a natural girlfriends, our computer, and, uh, um, and you know you kind of uh, you have to balance the relationship. But sure. at the same time, it's one of those things you have to learn how to balance the responsibility because uh, you know um, building a family, building a healthy personal life, uh, it's not only something that I have to do it. Uh, myself, but you also have the set example for everyone in the team.
0: For sure, and it, and it, it has a huge impact on the company as well, right? Totally. If you're not in a good state of mind, if you're stressed, if you're whatever then the the trajectory of the company is going to suffer and the people in it are going to suffer and the whole thing might begin to fall apart. So are there any things you do in particular for like performance related? Do you meditate, exercise, get your vitamins, your sleep? You know, like is there anything you do to make sure that you show up crisp, clear and ready to go?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, listen to music help <laughs> right. a lot. Um, exercise definitely help yeah. i mean every single uh, i try to do you know an hour and a half of gym every single day nice trying to like stay alert yeah. i mean it's uh your productivity is way higher at the same time it's much more positive right like you if something very stressful you go to the gym you push on iron <laughs> and then you come back, back oh great, great fantastic <laughs> I, you can you can do this um so um that's very very helpful and sleep early um yeah. drink a lot of water sleep early uh have a my schedule right now is much more um you know um uh, much more healthier yeah. than uh, than uh it was before. <laughs> you don't uh, say. <laughs> uh and uh you have to go to bed early. You have to wake up early, you mm-hmm. have to like stay, you know, really sharp every single day. Mm-hmm. And um you start like not going to club as much, right? Yeah. Um and you start, you know, not drinking as much. Um you kind of like it's not like, you know, you consciously give up those. You just at some point, you start, like, finding other interests and other kind of hobby or, you know, develop the habit to, you know, um, be good to yourself. Sure. And that's uh, that's very important part of the, you know, I, I think startup is not a career. It's not a profession. It's really a lifestyle. Yeah. And you pick that lifestyle, you have to stick to it. Right. And um, after you stick to it, uh, you get used to it, and you kind of, like, it, it kind of enhance not only, you know, um, not only the company or like but also you as a person um, you you become more aware of yourself yeah
0: i i i couldn 't agree more, and that 's that 's been said about a lot of the people that i 've spoken with on this show in particular you know it, it, the further along you go and the more responsibility is on yourself, you know the more you have to take care of yourself because you have to show up, you have to be clean, you have to be clear, you have to be stress free as much as you can because all these other people are now relying on you it 's not just you dealing with your own shit it 's you dealing with 30 people's issues and stuff, and they're going to be coming to you. So you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Oh, totally. The time. Yeah. Um, two more questions, then we're done. So first of all, David, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's been an awesome chat. I know we could talk for hours, but it, it is Saturday night. And speaking of productivity, I'm sure you've got lots of other things to do. Um, before we go, two questions. The first is, if you could give a phone call to your past self, your 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old self, Knowing all the things you've gone through over the past several years, you picked up the phone. What would you say to young David?
1: Mm, I would say um, embrace uncertainty. Right. Definitely embrace it. Um, You never know what's going to happen, and I definitely do not know what was going to happen. Like this is what um, what was going to happen when I first started. Sure. So um, I would say. You know, when I was in you know high school or university, you sort of like you see life as a straight path, right? Yeah. You be like, you have to get into the top university, yeah. Harvard, the best, right? And uh, you have to get into the investment bank. Yeah. You have to have to, all those brand name, all of this like everything going for you um you can't fail yeah you have to like you just like move uh, move along this like, straight you, path you put
0: this in place you put that in place this in place that in place and that means everything's going to be happy and good and great right?
1: yeah exactly um so you never learn to enjoy the uncertain part of life mm. the surprise the um you know the things that came out of nowhere and um you know uh the the bits and pieces that wasn't part of the plan uh, of us like the plan that you gave to yourself um after we started you know doing um startup and after i started kind of like this whole journey you start learning that all of all of the seemingly not connected pieces uh, start connecting right. with each other and every single experience that you didn't seem, you didn't think was important or you didn't value as much start becoming very valuable right. even more valuable than some of the things that you thought that was very valuable right. um, and um, I mean Steve Jobs put it the best way possible you can never connect the dots looking forward but looking backward everything makes sense right. and I think um, you know um, one of my favorite philosophers is Hegel um, is that history, um, you know, uh, you know, everything happens happens with a reason, right? right. Um, and I think you know, learn to enjoy that, um, embrace and enjoy the uncertainty would definitely make me learn so much more. Um, but I don't regret any single minute, any any single moment uh, right. for any of my past life. But um, but I would say, um, you know, one of the biggest learning that I have is that I learned how to. Embrace uncertainty Uh and um, as you put put before, how do you turn negative into positive? How do you, you know, um, work with what you have? How do you like, you know, really enjoy kind of like enjoy the struggle even? Um, I mean, those are the things that I learned. I mean,
0: I like to think of uncertainty as a prerequisite for possibility, you know, because if everything was certain, then everything would already be decided and there would be no room for the potential, for the possible. Yeah. So I think in that way, you know, at least for myself, you're able to embrace uncertainty because you need it if you're going to be involved in something or understand something that previously did not exist or or was thought to be impossible. Yeah. Um, So that's awesome advice er, for yourself, for your your potential self. (laughs) The last question is three pieces of advice for potential listeners, whether they're interested in coming to China and getting involved in the tech scene or just doing an entrepreneurial startup venture somewhere. You know, Through all the things you've gone through, what are three concrete pieces of advice you could give them? Again, it doesn't have to be like anything technical. It could be, like I said, get your vitamins, get your sleep, learn the code, whatever it is. Anything that you think would help them on their way?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean um, first I would say just do it. I just mean it's it. very cliche yeah. but you definitely feel it um, I don't think any of your I mean for me at least I don't think um, I think most of my life changing decision has not been a rational result <laughs> it's very emotional yeah. right? I mean you you know the best you came to China you just like, oh great I'm going like, to be here and um, I'm going to be here longer and that wasn't part of the plan yeah. um, I think you know, uh, when you feel it, when you feel like the urge or the itch uh, to 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 do something, you know, you should just do it. And one of the best analogy I've heard, um, moving to China, you know, um, doing a startup, whatever, it's kind of like. It's kind of like jumping off a cliff, right? Um, and the best analogy I heard is that you, you pretty much you're jumping off the cliff and trying to build an airplane on the way down, <laughs> hope that you will actually take off. Right. I mean, but even if you don't, um, you're gonna have hell of a ride, right? <laughs> I mean, this, uh, this is actually um, something that I would say, which is just, just do it, and mm. uh, you're gonna, you're probably not gonna learn something that that was um that you thought you're gonna learn, but you're gonna learn so much more yeah. um from things that you never expected. Yeah. So that's one. I would say um you know um if you're talking about um kind of like a startup piece of advice, um I would say uh, if you're if you have an idea, um you don't have to think about how do you do it perfectly the first time. Uh try out. Um always try out uh, we try out a bunch of stuff. We we fail the first stuff. Um, even when we build a landing page, we have no back-end support. We have no product at all. Um, we build the first version of uh, we, the third version of our product actually have users, but we never really built the payment system. So our pricing page will have will have a button of upgrade, and people will click on the upgrade, will pop out a window saying that our payment system is temporarily down. And the reality is we don't have one. one. So um and you don't have to get something perfect to um to be able to, you know, um to do to like continue with it. I mean it's always a quick iteration process and you have to, you know, enjoy this process, um the iteration process. Uh, don't be afraid of like embarrassing yourself. You going to embarrass yourself. Yeah. And uh, which is good. Um and you can learn so much from it. And we have definitely embraced, embarrassed ourselves so many times right. from this whole process. Um, so I, I would say moving to China, startups, probably the same, right? You don't have to have everything ready. You don't have to like, oh, I have to learn Chinese. Uh, I have to, um, you know, get a Chinese girlfriend. <laughs> you don't have to have all of those. You can, um, you know, when you're put in that, when you're thrown into, like, the deep water, you're going to learn how to swim, right. um, and that's the same thing for us. When we're forced to do those things, we we did it. Mm. Um, you just have to make sure that um, you know you're prepared, um, you, you're mentally prepared yeah. to go down the route. Um, and for for product, is that uh, whatever you have done, you have to do it perfectly. But not that you do it perfectly for you know the whole thing. You right. Just that one piece, you have to make it right. Yeah. So that's the second thing. Um, third advice: Think about this. Um, I mean, um, I guess from the startup perspective, um, it's just that, um, one thing that was also the cliche is that, um, never quit. Um, I don't know how much that applies for the China piece, but for startups it's definitely the never quit. Uh, definitely a very important advice that we give to everyone, because um. You know, when we got into Y Combinator, we heard three things. And we heard Paul Graham tell us, um, you know, there were three types of startups. The first type of startup are the ones who said, oh, we're in this, like, you know, super terrible situation. Let's work our ass off to uh, to get out of here. Uh, that's the first type. The second type, we be like, oh, we're in this, you know, uh, really bad situation. Let's just quit. And the third type will be, well, we're in this, like, uh, well, we're good. <laughs> Everything's fine. Yeah. And the second and the third type are usually very dangerous. Um and the first type are usually the ones who who made it out. Right. So um you're always gonna find yourself in a very difficult situation. N- n- there's never a point. Like if my life doesn't suck at any particular day, or not my life doesn't suck, if I don't have something that's like really pain in the ass every single day, I'll feel like wow, there must be something major wrong <laughs> with uh what I'm doing. So you you kind of like you you get used to the frustration uh, right. of things that's not perfect um and um, but the thing is that you know none of those um, matters um when you have a strong determination of mm-hmm. what you want to do, and if you have that, just don't quit um you you can you know, make it make it out of there um if you believe you can.
0: I love that advice, but I grapple with it all the time. Like I try to wrap my head around it because obviously there's so many times when you perhaps want to quit when you're on that startup path, and you know honestly sometimes you may just be on a road that's not going to lead to the the right place or to success. And grappling again, I come back to the uncertainty thing. Like you know, and I think it's better to have the determined like never quit approach. But again, sometimes it's like. When do you know when to change your course a bit, or you yeah, know what I mean?
1: Be flexible. Obviously, be flexible. Yeah. And I think um, you know a lot of people quit. I mean, this is always um, uh, always a tricky thing. When do you quit, right? I mean, you, you have to learn to quit fast as well. Right. If something doesn't work out, you have to learn to pivot. Yeah. Um. But I would say you know when it comes to startup, always leave it to your users right. or the uh, the market. Yeah. Um. You, you know, we talked to one of my best friends. When I moved to San Francisco, he pulled me aside, telling me, David, I trust you. I think you're one of the best people I've seen, but I just don't think you're working on the right thing. And that's the first dinner that we had in San Francisco. One of my best friends, he was trying to give me his most honest advice. Talking
0: about strikingly?
1: Yeah. He was just like, I don't think you're working on the right thing. I right. think you're you're
0: doomed. And he was probably coming out of a great place. Oh, right? yeah. And he was trying to, give you, trying to help you out.
1: He was definitely trying to help me out. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that doesn't really matter. Right. When it comes to that situation, it didn't matter. Um what matters is that we have that Harvard girl who is using us. Yeah. We have, you know, the Morocco Morocco guy who's our super fan, even when the product still sucks. Yeah. Right? And we have a, a lot more people who who um will manage to change their life. Mm-hmm. Um and I can go on and on about all of the people's life that we have changed. You know, there's just every, every single day I will hear a story that inspired me. Um and you know, all of those are things that you should really look into. And those are things that should empower you and make you believe in what you're doing. Obviously if you don't have all of those, if you like what you're doing is completely come out of your fantasy and doesn't really um you know connect with the real world, then you should think about this again. Right. But don't let um the noise um you know uh, destroy you. Yeah. Um you have to go with your you know your instinct and let the true market tell you what to do.
0: I think that's great advice, man. I I couldn't agree more. So everybody, if you're still listening, congratulations—a long one tonight. And uh, but I mean, with someone like David, I, I just couldn't help myself in uh, in getting into the nitty gritty details of his story. It's so fascinating and David, it's been an honor to have you in the studio. So thank you very much for coming in. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. Where can people, if they're listening and they wanna, you know, join Strikingly or have a chat with you guys or just figure out more about the company, potentially uh you know, avail of the service, where can they get in touch with you or or the company?
1: Well, we have a very smart solution here. Um the moment you sign up to Strikingly, fifteen minutes later you will receive a my a email from me personally. So there, you can get my personal email address, and you can contact me anywhere you want.
0: Nice. So everyone who's listening, if you want to follow strikingly, get in touch, get on the website, sign up, and uh, you'll be hearing from David shortly. Yeah. Um, David, thanks again for coming on. Everybody, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us at or connect at techinshanghai.com or follow us on Twitter at techinshanghai or find us on our website, techinshanghai.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes
2: and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.